Hello, and welcome to the Being Human podcast, where we explore what it means to truly be human, physically, mentally, and spiritually. We're going to be uploading an episode of the podcast every single week, as well as other content on brand with Being Human's ethos. So if you haven't already, hit that subscribe button. You do not want to miss any of the content on this channel. On this 10th episode of the podcast, I sat down with Nathan Epps. Nathan is an incredibly experienced kickboxer. He has been training striking since he was 10 years old, and he has fought all over the world, fought at an incredibly high level professionally, and coaches and works with some of the biggest stars in UK MMA, including Leon Edwards, UFC welterweight champion, Fabian Edwards, Bellator middleweight title contender, and Tim Wilde, UK MMA legend. Nathan shared a great deal of stories throughout our conversation about fights and moments in his career, his training, as well as stories from those names that I've just mentioned. He actually recounted what Bruce Buffer's reaction was when Leon got hit by Diaz in that fifth round and things looked like they were a bit shaky for a moment or two. Bruce Buffer was sitting next to Nathan and the story's absolutely hilarious. He also shared insights as to what it's like to spar with Leon, how good Leon is and what makes him so good. Some things about his personality that translates over into his fighting style. And we also talked about the other half of the Edwards boys, Mr. Fabian Edwards, who recently came up short in his title shot against the champion Johnny Eblen, and talked about how beneficial hindsight is and what Nathan says he may have said differently to Fabian in the corner in between rounds, looking back on it now. Nathan also shared his thoughts on what Fabian needs to do next in order to get back to that spot and ultimately capture that title. Nathan also shared who kicks harder out of the Edwards brothers, shared loads of really actionable advice as to how to become the best fighter you can, including not looking to pad out your amateur record, but really going out and finding those fights that are going to force you to get better at things that you may not be that experienced in. And that's something that you can apply to fighting, but you can apply to any craft, really. Loads of gold in this one. A good lengthy episode. We talked for about three hours and probably could have done three hours more. Great episode. I really enjoyed listening to Nathan and the stories that he had to share. I'm sure you will too. If you do, make sure to hit that subscribe button, like, comment, share the video as well. Be sure to spread the word, tell everyone about being human and how you can't stop binge watching it every week. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. And thank you for supporting being human. All up in the YouTube channel now. Oh, mate, yeah, I was looking at your YouTube and, uh, channel. Um, mate, you've got like 20k subscribers. Yeah, yeah. How long have you been uh, doing it? About, I think it's been three, it's in the lockdown. Yeah, that's when oh, I you started then. Yeah. yeah. Wow, you, you've done really well then, sir. Well, I have been, I have time. Because you want it faster, don't you? you know yeah. I mean? yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you're doing it, and then you're like, fucking hell. Like, this is, people are like giving good comments and stuff like that. And then you'll go on someone within the same niche and you think, yeah, he does nowhere near as good, but it's got like triple the views. You know yeah, I mean? yeah. Like, what, what am I doing wrong? You know I mean? Yeah, I know what you mean. Because like I've been, like I posted every day on Instagram last year. Yeah. And like I gained like a little over a thousand followers. And then my mate posted two TikToks at the end of last year and got 2,000 <laughs> yeah, 2, yeah. followers. Yeah, yeah. And it was like, you've literally accomplished more in two days than what I've accomplished in a whole, whole year. Yeah. <laughs> But he's playing the game, isn't it? It's the algorithm and stuff. Um, so yeah, it's figuring that out. But yeah, no, twenty k subscribers, man, like smashing up. I think you just got you got to put your time into understanding that, like, okay, I can make a video and uh, think it's really good, but then most people might watching. Yeah, that's it. Point, you you, know you have I mean? a certain bias, don't you? Either way, yeah, where yeah, it can yeah, be positive yeah. or negative, you might think it's 
rubbish and everyone else loves it or you might think it's really good and you know it kind of but then you got to realize okay what as a person if you've never seen it what are you going to do so then the like the three things that i learned the most was that you got to get your title your thumbnail which sounds like basic mm. and then your fucking intro yeah so i'll always put in the first like five ten seconds like a big knockout or something from doing a breakdown you don't give the person that straight away do you know what i mean and you make your thumbnail like as not as what's the word like some people make them too complicated i think like you're, you're a youtuber like you, you watch it all in that yeah yeah so like sometimes i think you can get you know especially the guys with lots of money and stuff they, they get guys with like fucking phds in in a like photoshop or whatever mm. and it's like over stylized yeah and too much it's, it's too, too busy. much you know yeah, what I mean? it's yeah. too busy in that so you just want a thumbnail that just straight away kind of stands out it's like a black background white or red writing and then just like a a focused image of like a punch or something you, mm. you'll get views man yeah like, it's simple but and make it stand like, out in a title like uh he will get knocked out yeah, you know I mean? so like an outlandish statement. Yeah, yeah. But then, as long as you deliver on that, you you know what I mean. As yeah. long as you like your videos, like decent, people will stick around usually. Yeah, see, I think that's what I struggle with. But I don't like you trying to be it. like too clickbait. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I learned that, mate. And like, so I get comments all the time, like this is some bullshit. And then in my head, I think you, you you're doing it. You're giving me what I want. You're yeah. writing the comment. Yeah, yeah. You're engaging with the fucking yeah. video, whether you even watched half of it or not. That's the point. You know what I mean? If you don't care, if you're not feeling nothing, then you're not going to engage. You're just going to skim it past, aren't you? Yeah, it's, quite, it's like it's the odd get, thing. You wake up, mate. publicity, isn't it? I've got, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I've got 100 comments. And it's, it's a mad nothing fuck, you know. Like, at first, you think, Jesus Christ, that's probably not. Like, that's depressing almost. Yeah, so I yeah. Say, yeah, you're fucking, what are, you, what are you talking about? You don't know what you're talking about, this, that, and the Then you realise, oh, no, that's part and parcel of it. You, yeah. want, you, you want that, do you know what I mean? And as long as you're not, I don't think like you're selling out, do you know what I mean? As long as no, you're no. Selling out. no. As long as you don't come on here now, like Colby Covington was like, Oh my God! Great Can you character. imagine? Yeah, yeah. You should have got. You should have come on with like the whole hat. Yeah, or something. Trump. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He takes it to the next level, doesn't he? Yeah, man. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll speak about that actually. Uh, uh, Leon and Colby at some point, um, and that fight and what's next for Leon. But I wanted to start with a very important question: Who wins in a bodybuilding contest? You or Joe Taylor? I saw Joe last the last time I seen him. He's looking. He's looking that's, good. That's, that's why I said it. Because I was scrolling back through your Instagram and I, and I came and across that photo. I thought, and I hold on a second. Have you known Joe for a long time? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I've known Joe for probably 10 years now. And he first, it was after Mark. So you know, I told you about that job in China. Yeah, yeah. Mark so, is. Yeah, Mark got it there. Mark. Yeah, so he got basically, he got me the position. I don't know if I can say that really. Like basically, I had to do an interview, like a formal interview with Mark on a video. I was going to say, are you allowed to say like publicly? Yeah, because I think as long the as is? the visa comes through, then it's all good. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's just about getting that visa, and like China can be a bit like you just got to tick the boxes. Do you know what I mean? So I've just got to do that now. Yeah. Fingers crossed, there shouldn't be anything that stops me from doing that. But um, so Mark's over there now at the UFC PR in Shanghai. And uh, I think he, I think he's a senior MMA coordinator. That's like the title, and then I'm the one underneath that. So he, I applied for this job about three years ago. I think it was just after the lockdowns, and I heard nothing back. Then by a set of coincidence, Mark got like um, the job through. I think it was someone from City Kickboxing, an instructor couldn't go over there because he had links with journalism or something, something like that. And basically, they just didn't give him the visa. So then Mark. Got, I think, uh, like put forward for the position. He obviously passed all the interview process. He he got the job. 
he's over there now. And then obviously he's then put my like, recommendation for yeah, And then I've, I've gone through the interview process, but there's a point where like, like Dean Amsting was actually going like, I know he's your boy in that, but like, he'll be professional, won't he? And obviously he was completely professional, <laughs> but in my head I'm thinking, he's my mate and he's, you know what I mean? I've known him for like, like 12 years now. And that's how I met Joe Taylor. So going all on side thing, and that's how I met Joe. Cause Joe, I think when I first met Joe, he was like a white belt in jiu-jitsu. Mark like would just fucking wrestle him in the living room and I like, get twisted at boy because we were both kickboxing and uh, tie boxing. And then uh, one day, like Joe's like good, do you know what I mean? He's got like, cauliflower ear, he's competing yeah. and stuff like that, and he's in really good shape and stuff. Because you know their background, they're just pissheads, you know what I mean? They're just, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, yeah, Joe told me all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Joe's told me a plethora yeah, yeah. <laughs> of stories. It's quite ironic that they've turned up where they are, shoulders. do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, no, it is. And it is, like, it is inspiring. And, um, the one thing Joe, since I've known Joe five, six years now, and over those five or six years, like whenever he talks about striking, people he knows who are good yeah. strikers, you and Mark are always, you, Mark and Jimmy are always the three that he names. Um, so yeah, he, he's always got more than good words to say about you guys. And let's go back to the start then. How did you get into um, Thai boxing? Was it Thai boxing first yeah, it was, in terms of striking? I think I was about 16. Yeah, but I did boxing first. Okay, I was boxing. When yeah, I was about take us right back to the start. When, where was 11, I? When was the first 12. experience of striking? Yeah, about 10, 11. and then went to the boxing gym. It was you put your subs in a tin on the desk. This little old man in the, at the time I thought it was the best thing in the world, but in hindsight, the gym was the, was terrible. Like you would not send your kid there. I had to convince my mom to let me go. She was like, you're boxing, like that. you can't be doing that, it's bad for you. Blah, blah, blah. I was like, man, please, please, my mate's from school, you know what I mean? And then you go in there, you put my 50p in, no one taught you, it was a ring, the ring, I can't even describe it, the, the skipping ropes were electrical wire, like in, insulator. It was mad, <laughs> you just get, it was mad. And I, at how one did point, they work? Did they work well as the, no, the jump rope? No, <laughs> terrible. And I was seeing the winter and that, you're in the car park. It was on the back of a pub in Erdington. So it was on the back of this pub in Erdington. I'd just go there, and basically I'd go there, have a laugh with my mates. They had a tiny little weights room. It was all like thrown together. Like one of the bags, I'm pretty sure, was like a potato sack with just some sort of stuffing in it held up by a seatbelt from a car. Like, <laughs> I don't know what, like this gym was mental, you know what I mean? And, uh, but at the time, it had like a bit of a vibe. So it had all old posters on the wall, you know, like um, like Costa Zoe was the man back then. Uh, there was Nigel Ben posters. Um, obviously, Ricky Hatton as well, like talking like early 2000s. So it had a kind of, even though it was a shit gym, it had like a feeling of nostalgia to it. And obviously you watch Rocky movies and stuff like that. It's kind yeah, of Yeah, like, when you were describing you know I, mean? I was just thinking of the You romanticise it, don't you? think, oh, yeah. this is the best. And I'll go in there, but then I was no good. I was little, not little, but like average height, a little bit tubby from like, you know, a kid. I wasn't like athletic or anything really. And uh, we'd just go in there, have a blast and that. But then obviously you start getting to that age when I'm about 12, 13, and he's like, especially in Birmingham, mate, it's a bit rough, you know what I mean? Yeah. I'm not rough, but like, Know. Was the area that you grew up in a, a rough no, area? No, it was nice. I, I yeah. grew up in Erdington originally, and then we moved to Sutton when I was in primary school. And uh, it's a nice area, lovely. Parents, good people, nice, good working people. They're from working class backgrounds, but then you know, they've done well. And uh, like going through probably like, yeah, 13, 14, you start like getting into confrontations and stuff. Like people just picking on you or whatever. And then you realize, I don't want to get picked on, so I'm just going to stick up for myself a bit. And then tr trying to figure out the landscape. I never had no brothers or cousins because my family was all from London. And oh, okay. All so you were all over the place. I kind of felt that way. You know what I mean? So my parents didn't have really necessarily like an understanding of Birmingham or the areas and stuff like that. Do you know what I mean? 
And then because you had a little sister, but no like siblings or anything. So you're just trying to figure it all out. And then got drawn into like boxing because I just liked that feeling of it, like going to the gym, you get a good workout. And then any team sport, there's like everyone else in there. Do you know what I mean? And if you're not like the star player, you're like, what's the word? Like pushed to the side a little bit. Do you know what I mean? So I always kind of felt like that. I was never like the best at anything. Whereas then you go boxing and if you get a little pat on the back or something, you're like, oh, no, this is good. And it was fun as well, do you know what I mean? And uh, I think I dropped out of that when I was about 14 because the, the gym was shit anyway. And then I, went, I ended up, I think I got a bad sparring incident where I got beaten up in that gym. And I, I'm pretty sure I remember it. The guy gave me a bloody nose. And then it was funny, there was like, since it's an old back of an old pub, there was this like dark room where people put bicycles and there was like a urinal in there. But you weren't like supposed to use this urinal. <laughs> but I went in there because my nose kissed me blood. And I was like letting the blood drip, in, drip into this like urinal thing. And I could hear the lads laughing about me in the other room. Uh, and I was like, I was like, fuck that, man. Yeah. So then I found a better boxing club, an amateur one called Tyburn ABC. You know, it was officiated in that. So I'm going to go there, get better. And I'm going to come back to this one and beat that kid up. Man, and this is a cool orange, orange story. This is a little mission, a little yeah. side mission. <laughs> I, knew, I was quite a private kid as well in, in many ways. So I never told anyone at school, really. So like when the lads that was like, originally went there we've kind of dropped off and stuff like that as is normal like you just go to the boxing gym but they weren't like getting obsessed with it they just thought it was a little bit of a laugh wouldn't go for another month whereas i was like okay now i want to get quite good at this now like i could see value in it do you know what i mean so then i went back to time i went to the tyburn gym and then it was complete it was like the role reversal like the first session in there walk in there you walk up the stairs the guy's like right get your skipping rope everyone's lined up in front of a mirror i couldn't skip so then they're going like right you know skipping 20 minutes I'm looking around, I can't skip, you know what I mean? And then all the lads are just cracking on, and then we've got like steely faces, and I'm thinking, fuck, you know, this is like the next level now, and I feel like I'm getting bullied, but not proper. All the lads just look at you like a div, do you know what I mean? So I've, I think the guy goes, hold a rope in one hand, like that, and just throw it around, get a rhythm and stuff. I'm so embarrassed. I mean, everyone else is skipping away, you know, bouncing properly, and that, and I can't even do one handed rope, do you know what I mean? So I stuck that out for about two or three months. And then one of the lads, he came over with me from school. He was better than me. And I felt like he was getting a lot of like one-to-one time. Whereas the lads, as amongst the uh, the circuit of how they ran the, the gym, you do like rotations in the bag. And then if they felt like you were like half decent, you get put in the ring to do some sparring or like get some one-on-one pad work. I kept getting stuck with like, a, no offense him, like a, like a geriatric old man. Like he just didn't know anything. You know, he was just old geezer, just like barely hold the pads up. Well, this is shit, do you know what I mean? And I thought like my mate and the other lads were getting better ahead of me then. And I thought this is terrible. So I've done that for a few months. My side mission abandoned. I thought I can't even abandon the side mission. I abandoned it. Aha, I was hoping it was going to be like a nah, mate. karate kid. Well, it know? was, but many, like, well, many years later. So, okay. Like, many, many years okay. later, but like not intentionally. So then I started like just, I don't know, smoking weed and hanging out with my mates and normal stuff then. I thought, fuck all the sports stuff. I'm just going to hang out with my mates, you know what I mean, have a laugh and stuff like that. Not not being anything outrageous, but you know, just getting up for mischief really. And then I think one day I was walking through yeah, Sutton Town Centre. I was about sixteen and some kid, random kid, comes up to me with a fly for tie boxing. And that's how random it was. And I held it and he goes, It's a free lesson, the first isn't free. I was like, what? Free? That's what I've got in there. I'll do that. I'll sign up to that. Mother, the other lads I was with weren't interested. They were like, fuck that. Like, you know, whatever while I'm trying to do that. So I went in the first free lesson and uh, I think I, I was drifting as well. So I'd, I'd like not had any sort of direction. I'd left school. I kind of got kicked out of school for like 
not really attending lessons and stuff like that. Once you pass your GCSEs, you know what I mean? It's all kind of like voluntary, really. It's like sixth form and stuff, isn't it? It's like there's not really as much pressure to go. It's like if you want to do it or you don't kind of thing. Yeah, you've got to be proactive yeah, about it. Yeah, I was there playing poker in the, in the <laughs> rooms, like missing lessons. One of the, my art, this is the funniest bit, which is not funny at the time. It's very stressful. But the art teacher thought I broke my leg. I come in after six weeks and not going to any of the lessons. And because he, he was so relaxed, I knew I wouldn't really get into trouble for it, which was the problem. Because then when I went into him, he was like, He's like, I thought you broke your leg. Like, what, what are you even doing? And I was like, I've just not been coming. And then he was like, well, six weeks. literally, mate. And then there's a few conversations between the teachers and they decided to like, you know, you need to go. Then I, funnily enough, I, I took a test. I think it was for a psychology test. And then, um, because that was one of the subjects we was doing. And I got the highest mark in the in the class. Sorry, when you said that, I thought you meant they made you take no, a, no, a, psych, like, a psychological I I exam. Art, psychology, and I can't remember what the other subject was. It might have been media studies or something like that. Again, just random shit. I was just like, I just need to find something that my parents are going to get off my back and just tick over. Really, I was just you know playing with my mates all the time. Yeah. That was what and, I and this was A-levels? A-level time. Yeah. I, was, I was 16 then, yeah. I think I ended up getting to a carpentry apprentice apprenticeship and just doing some construction work so basically a long story i had no like direction really and i was just hanging around with my mates just trying to figure out like, what do i actually want to do i have no idea and then you listen to your mates and they're like yeah what we'll do is we'll like we'll hustle car parts or something cool like i don't know we'll, like i know a guy that can do this and that'll make us some money or like we'll do night shifts at asda and that was a great idea at the time like, yeah night shifts at asda and then we can do this all day it'll be, it'll be cool Really, it's fucking idiot. You know what I mean? I was <laughs> Sounds like no seeing out Goodwill Hunting. Yeah, it was stupid. <laughs> and then when I got this this flower tie box, and I went in for the first lesson, and a guy, it was like, um, I'm sure they do it at gym. You have a free lesson, and maybe the guy talked you around the gym, and he took me on the pads and stuff like that. And uh, he was just every, everything I did, whether I was good or not. He was like, oh, wow, you're really good. And I was like, am I? And he was like, yeah. And, and I was like, fucking hell. He's giving me, giving me a pat on the back, whereas the boxing gym's not like that. It's like, Dog eat dog kind of thing. You're either mm. kind of good or you're not good. You know what I mean? No one's really actively trying to encourage you. And then I, I, look, I looked at the uniforms and the class structure. And I remember seeing a few of the junior lads. And one of them fights now, Nathan Benden. Have you, I don't know if you've heard of him. No, no, I haven't. He's got a gym down in West Brom. And he was about three years younger than me. So I would have been 16. He was 13. And I remember seeing him. He had like fancy shorts on, like the custom shorts and that. And he was just, he was really good, basically. He was fucking sick. He's just. Bossing everyone in this kids' class, catching kicks and sweeping kids, and I was watching. I thought he's thirteen. <laughs> yeah. I thought I'm sixteen, man. And I was like, I don't know if I could take this kid. You know what I mean, he's fucking tired. It's like watching Zach upstairs. Literally, that, that's exactly what it was like. And I was like, fucking hell, like, that's a kid. Do you know what I mean? I thought I need to do this. And obviously, they were so encouraging there as well. And we ring my dad up, and I was like, Dad, Dad, like I'm gonna join this gym. I got my apprenticeship money, two pound an hour, so I was getting eighty pound a week, and the membership was like sixty pound. And I remember, I was like, How are you gonna afford that? I was like, I don't know, Dad. Like, like I'll, get, I'll, I'll use it as one wage packet a week. We'll pay for my month. I said, you ain't going to stick with it. It's a 12-month contract. You're not going to stick with that for 12 months. I said, Dad, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll do it. And, I, and he was like, he just weren't having it, basically. But in the end, I fucking went back up there, signed up the forms, pretending I was older than what I was, because you're supposed to be 18 to do that. That blew up in my face, because then my dad had to come back in anyway to sign <laughs> me up, because it was like, you can't do a direct debit at that age. You know what I mean? <laughs> so then he comes back and uh, helps me out, and then I have to give my my dad the money every month and uh, I was just stuck with it then. And then it was like literally every night, every day, I was just going to tie boxing. since that was my thing. And because I guess I was 16, I'd grown a bit as well. So I wasn't short anymore. I was about six foot. And uh, that you could do anything like half decent in that gym. And like, you were just getting like 
it's like they rolled the carpet out for you. Oh, wow, like, oh, excellent, really good that is. And you just, I felt like, fucking hell, and they're showing you the technique properly. So even just as simple as like how to get into a stance and guard at the boxing club, they weren't like that. It was like, do a jab, you know what I mean? There's no one coming over to you going, turn your hand over. Yeah, they're not you know giving I mean? you they're not real giving you direct pointers. details. No, nah, man. <laughs> it's just like, so you might be doing that on the back, just doing your own thing, and then you get called to spar, and you're just like, all right, they're fucking up. Whereas at this one, it was like everything was controlled sparring. Everyone was kind of like molly coddled, really. And it, I liked it, though, because it made me, as a, like a, maybe not the most confident person. Yeah, it gave, like, gave you that encouragement. Yeah, that encouragement and the safety as well. So I was like, oh, yeah. And then before I knew it, I was just like, I think I've been training about six months. And the lads were like, you shouldn't do a fight. And I was like, oh, I don't know about that. Like, fucking, let me just get this good first. So I was a bit of a perfectionist as well. I was like, let me just get like, this round, let's get perfect, you know what I mean? Because that's a short space of time. How with, with that with the bits that you did in the boxing gym when you were ten, and then that bit of a tie that you did when you were a little bit older. Yeah. How much of that did did that give you kind of like a solid base going into those six yeah, months? Yeah. And I think more than anything, I was just game. Like I think yeah. I was naturally quite a tough kid. Not not like um, aggressive or anything, but I could just take. You were happy to fight punishment. You know what I mean? <laughs> like I could endure. I could endure suffering. Do you know what yeah. I mean? I think you I didn't have to get over the getting hit. Yeah, I weren't like shying away from stuff. I was kind of like <clears> happy <throat> to like kind of be in there, I guess. And I've, that probably did come from the boxing as well. And then my dad's always been a big like a uh, gym goer. So he's, he's like a big geezer. When I was a kid, he was like 27. Wait, no, no gear. Like clean, natural guy, healthy guy. But because of that, I think I'd always had someone that had like a like a physicality about him, do you know what I mean? Yeah. He's big, do you know what I mean? Everyone kind of looks like that. He's a big guy, do you know what I mean? He's Terminator, they used to call him, like my cousin did. He's like, not Terminator. <laughs> can he have a leather jacket and that? He was in good shape. So I was always like quite physical like that, but I wasn't like naturally, like I'd say, getting the technique perfect or I couldn't pick it up straight away, do you know what I mean? So I just thought, you know, okay, I've got to go. I just went home and did the maths, do you know what I mean? But I thought, okay, I'm, I like this. I want to be good. I want to be like that kid that saw Nathan Bend and what sweeping people. I want to be good. And I was thinking, like, well, he's been training for this long already. I did a little maths in my head. Okay, so how many hours a week? He's been doing three hours a week. Like, you know, four weeks at a month. Add that up over the year. I was like, okay, fucking hell. I've got some work to just catch up. Do you know what I mean? So then I'll be like, okay, I've got to go every day minimum. I have to, I have to go four or five days a week minimum, whatever classes I'm allowed to attend. And then because I was a nice, quite helpful person as well, the instructors actually like, liked me being there. So if I was on the pads with a, a woman, I wouldn't like smash the pads and yeah. stuff like that. So then because of that, when I got a bit better, they allowed me to still do the beginner's class. So at one point I was coming in, I'd finish my carpentry apprenticeship and I'd go straight to the gym and then I'd go like five, six, seven for the classes. And then I'd do that five days a week. So three hours straight. Straight. But it wasn't hard. It was like like a, a beginner's class at Hardy Wallet. It's not that bad, is it? It's like yeah, you run yeah. around, you do a few sit-ups, so a generic warm-up. Yeah. Half the time doing technique, I'm obviously thinking I just want to spar all the time. Then like, you know, I was happy to do the technique and then do that the next class. You know what I mean? So it wasn't like massively intense, not like Thailand yeah. where you get yeah, yeah. blocked. You know what I mean? So it was quite quite easy. I wasn't like getting run down. But then in the hindsight, I was very very much able to pick up all the technique that way. So I got very good at all the basics really quick. So I was going in there and just doing like just jab cross round ass kick, you know what I mean? Repetition. Yeah, repetition. over and over again. And then everyone was so nice and welcome at the gym as well. Like K Star this was. Um like it just enabled me to stay there. Go in there. It felt like a home. You know, go from my gym, 
from my work even straight to the gym. And I wasn't like, oh, gym tonight. I loved it. I couldn't wait to go. Do you know what I mean? I'd go there, stay there two, three hours. Then on a Saturday morning, I'd make sure to go there. And even then, when I was getting like, like lagging out my head on a Friday and Saturday night, I would still go to the gym. I'd still go to the football on a Saturday afternoon. But I'd go to the gym in the morning. So sometimes I'd go do my morning tie boxing and then go straight to a villa game. That's how I, like, I knew I had to get my training. There was no excuse to miss it. You know what I mean? I thought that's everything else kind of became like a side thing just so I could go to the gym. So like, as long as I go to work, my dad's going to be cool with me. I'm still going to be able to live at home and stuff like that. But I'm just going to be able to go to the gym. And I'm obviously supporting that. Got a little bit of money. And uh, obviously, the older you start getting, though, it's quite like a childish mindset because it's like, okay, what I'm earning for an apprenticeship isn't good. It's not a lot of money. And then I'm spending all my time in here. It's like, where's this going? Like, I need to yeah. earn money. You start asking point. those, you start looking into the yeah. future. And then obviously you start looking at people around you, like your mates, and about you, like, you had a mate that had a good job quite early, or like a good girlfriend or something, and start thinking, okay, he's leveling up in life a little bit, and I'm kind of not, you know what I mean? So when there's I always 18, that comparison, isn't yeah, there? Yeah, literally, it's the, and that's the fee for joy on it, you know what I mean? If you keep looking at everyone else and comparing yourself, then it takes away from your own enjoyment, doesn't it? Um, but I, 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 even though that was happening, I was like, okay, well, how can I like create that within tie box. I knew I had to do the fights then. So I went from being like, I wanted to fight just to kind of test it, then being like, okay, I need to start thinking like this is how could it be a career? And I'd go home before YouTube was big and stuff like that. You, you didn't have the exposure to the athletes. So like, you know, like we've got Instagram now. It's like, oh, I know what Jimmy's probably had for breakfast today. Whereas back then you didn't have a fucking clue. Yeah, you had to really you know scour I mean? the internet. Like literally, so, and I was quite good at that anyway. So I was like, Right, let me go into forums. It was all forums and stuff like that. And then uh, I'd watch the K1 Max. And then Damien Trainer, who's the one of the head instructors at K-Star, he was sad. He'd, he'd give me DVDs or something. And I'd go and watch a DVD of Raymond Decker's and it'd be like, I don't know, like two hours of his fights. I'd be like, man, what was he doing? Like, where'd he go? Oh, that was Thailand. I went there as well. And he'd t tell me bits and pieces, fill in the information. And then I'd like asking him, why don't you get paid? And it was shit, you know what I mean? But, Everyone kind of had, at this point in time, especially around Thai boxing, like, you know Liam Harrison? Yeah. Stuff like that. Like, there's like a veil over it because at this point in time, if they'd go in the pub and no one knew who the fuck they were because there's no social media. So it's like that they are the best at what they do, but no one gives a fuck because it's a minority sport. No one, it's not on TV. It's not, you're lucky if you're in the, the back of your local newspaper for a clipping that your trainer would send that up. It's not like they come to you. It's like your trainer will go, oh, you want a British title? I send that to the local yeah. paper for, for gym exposure to get some members from the area. So it wasn't like there was anyone like actively seeking out to expose the sport. So then therefore, when I'm trying to craft out a career path, I'm thinking, oh, this doesn't sound very solid, does it? <laughs> like this is something that I really love and enjoy. And then I'm trying to think, well, how can I make money out of it? And obviously I was quite um like like what's the word? Like, a bit self-conscious, I guess, in terms of like, I never put much of myself. And then I, I'd never see myself like coaching. Well, what the has had all these fights? Oh, I can't coach. You know, I've got to have at least like how many fights to do that. And then how can I support myself doing that? And then one day I was on a pad, and then Steve Logan, the, one of the trainers, he came to the other gym. So he's got like multiple gyms. He wouldn't really be at the one I was training at. One day he came in to cover a class. I think I was 17 at this point or 18. And he was, he took me on the pads and he was, I think the third kick and he went, fucking hell. He was like, wow, wow, do that again. He's like, fucking hell, you're really good. Like, what weight are you? And I sold him like 76 kilo. He goes, oh, if we get you for 70. He just said it like that. And he did this little face. He'll do this, Steve, right out of his mouth. I go, I'm thinking, like, what are you thinking? And he's like, oh, yeah, K1 Max. He said it really like, blah, eh? You, there's, there's a bit of money in that. 
and that's that stuck in there. Money, money. Like, what is it? Kickboxing. Google that. Looks at all the fighters at, at seventy kilo. Okay, that's actually a career then. They're all fighting over in Japan. Masato at the time he had a Ferrari, and you're like, fucking hell, it's not just money. That's like, yeah, that's tangible, money. man. Do you know what I mean? Mixed martial arts at this point's like dark ages, really. It's like America. And yeah, what what year was this? This was two thousand and ten or nine. Yeah. No, nine, no. Eight or no, maybe even eight, 2008, yeah. So UTC wasn't even open. That opened in 2010, I think. So all of this has happened. I think I started 2006. Those couple of years, first couple of years, like, you know, I had an amateur fight here, amateur fight there. And uh, how, how did your first fight go, by the way? It lost. Yeah. Complete stitch up as well. But it was quite funny. Like, is it mad? <laughs> that was a mad experience as well. Like, my dad, he's been to two fights, the two of my amateur fights. I think it was fight number one, fight number three, lost them both. He's never been to one ever since. <laughs> and it was funny. So we go it's to this ne- venue. Never, never since never then, since just those then. two. And first one. So we go out there now, we go to this show, we think it was Warrington. My dad, we, we'd um, gone to rugby matches when we was kids because I played rugby on a Sunday to get out going to church when I was like <laughs> eight or nine. So that became part of like mine and my dad's bonding thing. Like every Sunday, we'd go to these rugby matches um, for, for the local team. So it was kind of like doing that again. So he was like, right, I'm doing this, this kickboxing fight. Dad is like, okay, okay, amateur rules and stuff. He's like, okay. He didn't think much of it all. He thought what I was doing was stupid anyway. He's like, spending all this time there. I'm glad you're not getting into trouble, but really, like, what's your life path? He didn't see the He didn't the really see anything it. of it because it just yeah. weren't a thing. Do you know what I mean? So we've gone up to this and then it was funny, like, there was a, because I was at another another gym out of the main case. I was at a smaller version of case star, basically. And there'd been a bit of like a changeover. So the main instructor, Henry Clemson, he'd left. He was my first instructor within, within the, that's Leon's main striking coach now. He, he was my main coach when I first started. And then he'd left once I'd been about a year in. So then coming up for my first fight, there's another instructor, a new guy. But he, honestly, mate, like, don't want to name names in that book. He was a bit of a clown, do you know what I mean? He was a nice guy, but he was like, in hindsight, he wasn't a tie boxing instructor. He ended up working in a prison and all sorts of things. Like, okay, so just, just kind of like local jobs tough, and stuff. tough guy. Yeah. He's a nice geezer in that. I don't think it was that he was a tough guy. I think he had a couple of fights and then like that, the opportunity to have a, a job there kind of fell into his lap and he just took it. And then he was using the job just kind of like, as oh, this is an easy job. He wasn't like enthusiastic really about coaching. So it was like leading up to my first fight. I had all this changeover instructor. And then he told me the wrong time. So he goes, yeah, get to the venue for this time. So me and my dad drive up to Warrington. We get there at like, um, I think it was half past 11 we get there for this 12 o'clock thing, like what, what I'd been told. So we're there. We're like, no one's there. Another hour goes by. But how funny is this as well? One of the other guys from this small gym, there's me and this one of the guys fight on this show. He comes up and he, he, we, he got there early as well. And he's like, it's Scott Crew. We're like, nah. So we're like, wait for Steve. And then I text Steve, or I think he texts Steve. Steve goes, we ain't getting there until I think 4 or 5 p.m. So I look at my dad, oh, what are we doing? My dad's like, oh, what are we doing now? We're in a leisure centre. You know, it's like a swimming bath or something. There's nothing to eat, sausage rolls and that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, oh, fucking hell. Then he goes, are we going to go to the pub for some food? <laughs> Do you want to come? And I was like, no, nah, I think I'll stay here. I'll stay here with my dad. He ended up going to the pub, not coming back. He just oh, left. my God. So I don't know what happened there. Do you <laughs> so know what I mean? He just chucked his in the bag, went to like, the pub. We've gone all the way to Warrington, like two hours drive. We've never seen the guy again. So I'm sat there and I'm thinking, fucking hell. So Steve eventually comes. So it's been like a long day and obviously a bit nervous as well. So I've never done it before. And then a few of the lads from the other case, like the main one, a Perry Bar one, they all turn up in there like entourage. But because I didn't know them, I wasn't like, I didn't have anyone to sit with. Do you know what I mean? So I was kind of in my own thoughts with my dad. 
my dad's obviously doesn't know anything about stand-up sports. He's just saying like the wrong stuff all the time. He's like, what are you gonna do in that? Like, I'm like, to <laughs> no, know, dad. I, know. I was hoping you'd tell yeah. me. You know what I mean? I was just gonna get in there, do you know what I mean? And then, uh, so long story short, I ended up fighting the, the main event of this show. It's my first fight. <laughs> the guy I'm fighting, he's, I was 75 kilogram on the day weighing. There was a bit of a shuffle around with the matchups. The guy's 85 kilo, but he wasn't big and he'd had 14 fights already. From the lo- from the local club, he was like a po- he was in the poster, and I'm thinking, fuck, you know, this, this so you've is been set up, man. Yeah, but I don't know what's going on here. And then Steve, like, I don't know what he was thinking, but he just kind of let me go ahead with it. One of the main lads that I'd also been like, I guess, like a bit of a rivalry with from the Perry Bar Club. We'd done an interclub together, so my K Star fought against his K Star, but in a no decision bout, and he he kicked the shit out of me. Basically, this lad did. So I had a bit of a beer in my bonnet. I thought, it's the same weight as me and stuff like that. And I thought, fucking hell, like, I don't want to lose now. And, and then he fought and he won by head kick knockouts. Then I'm just like, oh, I felt extra pressure then. I thought, I want everyone to think I'm good as well. So then I ended up fighting the the, uh, the last fight of the night. I've been waiting there from like half past 11. It's now 9.30 at night. I end up f- forgetting my gum shield. So then we have to do a boil and bite in the fucking, in the leisure centre swimming back <laughs> cafe or whatever it is. Literally, I'm a, I've got all my stuff on and that. And then they go, where's your gum shield? And I go, oh, fuck. We have to go and do this really quick. Luckily, Steve had one. Put it in. After the fight and stuff like that. It was a, I don't know if you've ever fought before. Not striking, no. Is it just a blur? What have you done? Like, done grappling? Grappling. I'm a grappler. So your first grappling match, did you feel that, like, what's happening? I've got a bit, no, because I think grappling is a bit different in the sense that I suppose I was fairly experienced for my category when I okay. did my first match because I kind of really got into it over COVID. So I had a lot of training before okay, I went into yeah, my yeah. first match. So I felt quite prepared. As I, a I, I did, yeah, yeah. I did lose it. So obviously wasn't the most prepared. But um, in the same I, boat then, mate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Lost the day, did you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but uh, and I actually did then win my second and lose my third. So. Oh, yeah. there you go. That's how I went. That's yeah. my career. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, good pattern. <laughs> but. Um, but, but yeah, I, I do think grappling is a bit different anyway because obviously it's um, it's obviously you know high impact, fast pace, and everything. But it is different yeah, to striking yeah. in that striking it can be over, you're out and conscious in a split second. So I do think it is a bit different in that sense. I think though, in your first my first striking one, I, you're not really yeah that can happen, but you're not even really aware of it. You're so like naive to the whole thing. You just think, and you're obviously just full of beans when you think, yeah. well, that's something happened to me. Yeah, I, you, you think it was it wasn't more to do with like the actual nature of it. It was just, it was your first just, competitive yeah, experience. Yeah, in front of a crowd and stuff yeah. like that. I think that was the main thing. I think when when there's other people watching you and stuff and you don't know like who the opponent is, what no matter what sport you're doing, that's like the, and obviously the pressure of yourself, you're like, oh, I don't want to get embarrassed here. It's not so much even like losing or getting knocked out or even like getting submitted. I think it's just like, oh, fucking hell, I don't want to look yeah. like a sausage eat. It's like the external. That, like, that's what it is. That's what, you know, have you heard like Conor McGregor describe it as like, um, it's all smoke and mirrors. You know what I mean? As much as that guy says a lot of nonsense, he does say some sense as well. And that was the one thing that I feel like I've heard him say, where I was like, yeah, that's very true. And Israel Adesanya said the same thing. I spent a bit of time with him in China. And he, the main thing you pick up from him is all that aspect of it, like the psychological, like how to deal with the, um, the cameras and the spectacle of it all. And just remembering that this is just the same thing of what you would do in the gym, just a bit different. You know, the grappling... There's a little extra intensity and a little bit of bite to it, but that's not what gets you. I think it's just everything else that gets yeah, you. Yeah, that's it. It's, it's all the circumstances around you, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like the waiting around and stuff like that. Yeah. And grappling, I've not done a grappling, but I've heard it's notorious for being there like entire day. 
yeah, you get there. So some comps, you know, it might say on the, you know, the piece of paper or the email you get through, you're on at 10 and then you could be on at nine yeah, or two. Yeah. So it is very unpredictable and you usually go there in a group and someone's on early in the morning, someone's on last. So yeah, it's like, a full day affair. When do I get ready? Yeah. When do I feel warm? And I think that's with like any event, that's the hard bit. Like, so my first one, I'm naive to it all. I get in there. Obviously, I, I know the guys, I can tell the guys' experience of that. I see them on the posters and stuff, and I think, okay. But I was so, like, um, determined, I guess. And because the other lad from my gym had won by head kick, I was like, I'm not getting mugged up here. So I got in there, and I was, to be fair, I was, I was good. I in hindsight, I don't think I realised that I was good. You don't ever think you're good. You're always looking ahead, aren't you? Yeah. And you're looking at, like, I don't know, like, the best that, who's the best in the grappling at the time for you at your weight? Do you have anyone that you look at, I think? Uh, no, it's, it's not at that point. I mean, now, obviously, all the guys at ADCC, but I've got to be honest, when I first yeah, started to compete, yeah. I wasn't even kind of looking at them. So I kind of only had the people in my gym to compare myself to. There's still a guy, and, though, isn't there? Yeah, like, yeah. And like they were gym they, mate, you know Yeah, what I mean? exactly. And all the guys my weight, because like I said, I started training seriously in COVID. Yeah. So I was training with all the guys that were still training because they were fighting. They'd already yeah, had amateur yeah, fights. Yeah, so yeah. I was thrown in the deep end. You remember like Jack Henshaw, like Josh Hamilton, Kieran, Kieran Ford when yeah, he was training, yeah, all yeah. those guys that were preparing for amateur fights. Um, the standard was high, right? Yeah, 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 exactly. The standard was high and I was just getting smashed every session because <laughs> I was there really as a hobbyist that then yeah, kind of ended yeah. up taking it uh, more seriously afterwards. So yeah, when I went into the first competition, everyone was telling me, yeah, you'll smash it, white belt. You'll, <laughs> you'll smash it. I was thinking, yeah, I feel, I, feel like, I feel like I will because I feel like I, I was aware that the standard was very high. Yeah, but at the yeah. same time, I hadn't had many rounds where I was actually attacking people and dominating because I was just on the defense the whole time. Yeah, so I can yeah. appreciate what that's like where you don't really know from experience how good you are if you're always comparing yourself to the, a high standard. The high guy. So yeah. I was doing that from the get-go. And then I, I was in there and I was like, it was all just a blur. So I remember doing all right in the first round and that and think thinking like, oh, that was all right. But then you get hit with a shot and it's like a surreal moment. I'm like, oh, he's trying to hurt me. And you kind of realize, oh shit, I'm actually in a fight here. And you get a bit of gusto then and you have a go. Then you get tired a little bit. You think, okay, I need to step off a bit now. And it's just this back and forth. But I remember when it really showed off was the, I think it was the last rounds, the first two rounds. I think I won the first round. And then the second round, he won, but it was a bit close. And then the third round, I was a bit tired and he schooled me then. And he was like showboating me and said, oh, he's experienced. And that was when I stepped out after and I was a bit embarrassed, but I was like happy that I'd done the distance. And then we drove over, me and my dad, and my dad was like, well, you came second, mate. Pat on the back and that. It's like, second, mate? There's only two of us in there. You wanker. I remember having that. Did he a... say it in like a sarcastic way? Yeah, he... of course. Yeah. That's my dad. You know what I mean? He just, my dad is the type of person where like I love him to bits, but like he's probably not like the most emotionally like foregoing person. Like he's not going to give you like loads of praise and that. And he's almost a bit old school old school but always thinking about like negatives as well in terms of if you t he'll think of a problem which is a good thing because he want he don't want to go into anything blind what happens if this happens though or like you know if i'd say i said to him i'd like oh, i've got this opportunity to coach at this gym you got insurance mate you know what i mean make sure you got insurance yeah, yeah. and that's my dad you know what i mean yeah. I'm like, oh, you can't be happy for me with something <laughs> bullshit like that even though he's right with what he's saying do you know what i mean so like he drove he just said a little comment we drive over and that I, I can't tell if he's proud of me or what, but I remember thinking, like, oh, well, I can't leave it at that now. I've got to do another one. Do you know what I mean? I've got a minimum do another one and get a win. And that was kind of that little slippery slope. But then going back to obviously this mad tangent that we've gone on, when I was thinking about career and money, whilst like nothing else in my life seemed to fall into place work-wise or 
feeling like I was doing anything that felt like fulfilling. I was like, I really enjoyed doing this. And then uh, how could I carve a career? So then going back to that K1 thing, all the fights in Japan and the kickboxing side of it, because everyone at the time, especially in the UK, they weren't doing um, like K1 style. That's really popular now. Whereas at the time, it was like Japan and that was it. It was like you do tie boxing to eventually just switch a rule set and be a kickboxer. There weren't shows that were promoting kickboxing fights. Because it was, I'm guessing, like most of the comments then were like traditional American kickboxing. With the trousers. Didn't, yeah, and you, the didn't, you didn't kick the legs. Yeah. And yeah. It's just shit. You know what I mean? Like, it just does not translate. Big foot pads and stuff. Big foot pads. Most of the guys will throw like three or four rounds kicks straight away, like flicky ones to get that out of the way. And then they basically do sloppy boxing then. It's not really like what you'd see now. Do you know what I mean? That's why a lot of the guys that come from those kickboxing backgrounds, they don't really do that well in mixed martial arts. Because the tie boxing is all about just like power. There's obviously more weapons. Um, it's about doing real damage, isn't it? Just Rather than like I'm scoring points trying to and stuff. Inflict yeah. pain on you. Even though saying that, like you go in a stadium and it does get, once you get to a certain level as well, it is about points. Like, like you know, you know if the body kick lands, the knee lands, you're winning. I know if I get a sweep, I'm winning. So then I can go on the back foot now. And you can very much play the game in Muay Thai. Do you know what I mean? One championship's changed it now because with the four ounce builds, everyone's hunting for knockouts and bonuses. Whereas before it was like, you watch the stadiums and you hear the gamblers and stuff. It's very much like, okay, how can I score points in a different way? I'm still trying to inflict pain and damage, but like the points element is very much an important part of it. Because they score the sweeps very highly, don't they? Yeah, body kicks is the, probably the highest scoring technique. As much as there'll be people that disagreed with me that, because it's supposed to be scored upon effect. But Tony Mars, who's one of the better guys in, in Muay Thai, who's done all the judging seminars, he, he kind of teaches people how to judge and stuff, or he did anyway. I'm not sure if he's still doing it anymore. And he's produced a lot of like, the guys in the Midlands, like Dean James, and um, quite a few fighters back in the day, really good. Uh, he would say that like it's deemed to be more effective. So the body kick, especially to land it like flush on the body when someone's blocking and stuff, is really difficult. So it requires a lot of skill. Um, so if, if my punch lands and then you body kick me, the body kick's winning. Or if I punch you and then you kick me in the end of it, and then near, that's going to win. You know what I mean? It's like, so I could be banging someone's head off. And that was the thing that caught me out in tire boxing early on with the points. Because I'd be going in there trying to win a fight and then the guy would land body kicks and he'd win the decision. And I'd be like, what the hell? But I felt like I was I was winning. But like, no, you've got to understand this again. Like, you, you, you fight to scoring criteria. And obviously, yeah, you might punch and knock his head back. But then if he lands the body kick and lands the knee, it's kind of nullified what you've just done. So there's, there's elements of it that you have to understand. You know what I mean? I, I guess it's the same jujitsu with like... Um, Points and some attempts. Yeah, it becomes, it's a sport at the yeah. end of the day. And it's that's sport more. It takes tight. away from just, it's no longer just the end goal of yes. knocking someone out or submitting yeah, yeah, someone. Yeah. It's, oh, well, that might not actually come to yeah, fruition. Yeah. So how do I win under the score? You know, under the, the rules. Set. Yeah, and I see yeah. with the gambling in Thai boxing, so like such a big part of it. Like if you're, you go to the Thailand gym now as a Westerner, you go there, you pay your money, happy days, mate, they're going to treat you like a king. You pay your money, do you know what I mean? You tell them, like, right, I want to fight for your gym. And uh, they'll sponsor you. Wow, your life's going to change forever. Not probably for the better either. Because now all of a sudden it's like, oh, right, you want to fight properly then? Okay, now we're going to train you properly now. Now we're not going to, like, give you a walk between rounds. We're not going to fucking flog you. Because we want to make sure that we're not going to put our money on someone that's going to lose. Do you know what I mean? So you'll see, like, two sides of Thailand where it's, like, all smiles and happy. But then you'll see, like, okay, if you want to fight and do it properly, then all of a sudden the gym will treat you like you're 
a workhorse. You're you know an investment, I mean? aren't investment. you? investment. You're like, you know what, what they do at the, the horses when they lose races or they put them down? You know yeah, I mean? yeah. It's kind yeah. of like how the mindset Same is over there. Thing. Do you know what I mean? It's like, right, you, you're going to fight for us, you're going to train for free, and uh, but we're now going to make money off you competing regularly, and then we're going to put bets on you with the against with the other gym, and that's how we make money off of you. So it's like, we can't have you going in there and not quitting. So you've got to go out there and fight, do you know what I mean? So there's very much, especially if you are good as well and you're gonna and you've got the potential to maybe fight at a high level, they're gonna treat you that way and you'll become a product, you know what I mean? Like you're there to it's all money at the end of the day. You're there to to make ends meet for people. And that's it, it's not just you, it's you know, yes. there's other financial interests and other yeah, interests yeah. in you as well. So you, you that's where you you see guys that go to Thailand and they level up a lot as well, because obviously they're getting that level of training. So when I was in Australia there was a gym affiliation. It was called Sanctionoy's gym. Unfortunately, Sanctionoy, I think he killed himself. Like he had some demons, man. But like his gym was notorious. It was the toughest gym in Thailand at the time. It's like 2013 because like foreigners would go, they wouldn't last more than like a week because it was like there's pigs in the gym, wild animals. Like you know, like not wild animals, but domesticated animals like pigs and chickens and stuff. Oh, like, literally, roam, literally roaming around <laughs> in the gym. Like the the, the it's concrete floor. You know, what I mean, so you're getting blisters left, right, and centre. Old school, like. The conditions aren't great, but you train there for long enough and like you can get over the training saying that you're shit for like two weeks and just like telling you you're rubbish despite trying to like get everything out of you. Then they'll know then, okay, you're worth our time and investment. And then they'll start like bringing you up. Do you know what I mean? So it's kind of like the military. They just put yeah, you through hell yeah. just to see if just you can to survive see. it. Yeah. Cause, and that's the reality of fighting as well. Like, you know, fighting is about like, like sometimes you see guys in the mixed martial arts and they, they pad their records and stuff like that, and like it might look good to begin with. It's like, oh, he's ten and zero, or he's eight and zero. But if he's fighting guys that are like one and zero, or like two and zero, or like one and one, and he's he's six and zero, and he's fighting a guy that's one and one, it's not really doing many favors. And long term, you're not doing the gym any favors because we need to see: is this guy going to quit? Is he going to take a loss and then decide he's just going to grab his mates and go to piss now? You know what I mean? He's, can he handle that? Can his ego handle that? Is the guy going to get hit with a shot and then be like, whoa, I've never been hit like that before and just buckle? Or like, you know, you see a guy get put in an armbar and it's not really on. Or a rear naked joke and he taps. Like, you need to see that. So like the amateur process for me, like my, my fighter Wes Tully, I've matched him like a tie style because he wants to go pro. It's different if he doesn't. You know, if, if you're just a hobbyist, okay, it's fair enough. Just, you know, win a little title, match you very safe, safely in terms of like, I'm never going to go that route because you're not got those ambitions. If you there's no be, reason to. There's no reason you just to. Want yeah, experience just have it. a go. Don't think about it like that. But then if you're telling me you want to be in the UFC, okay, we've got to look at those guys now. How are you going to get there? So your amateur career needs to be like you need to find the holes. So if Wes wins one, like by like a knockout or something, it's like okay, can he defend a takedown? Then I'm going to try and match him if I can, if it's possible against a guy that's a jiu-jitsu guy or strong wrestler why because i need to see we need to see now what you need to come back in the gym and work on you've got to run all the experiments run it. yeah exactly as safely as possible so i see <clears throat> whilst they're not getting paid you don't want them getting concussions man so it's like trying to navigate that mindful of like how can i make sure he's going to be safe and not not get like hurt but i want him to get exposed a bit and i wanted to lose i remember when he was is funny as well when he was five you know he was five you know he had the, he's, he's fighting for a 10th planet in redditch and James was just a bit of like a, I like James, but like sometimes his matchmaking is a little bit like. Sus. 
it's not even sus. It's like I don't feel like sometimes there's rhyme or reason to it. It's almost <laughs> just like just have a fight. They're the same weight, kind yeah. of. Yeah, and that's good and bad. But then sometimes I felt like okay, he's five and zero now, and then he had a couple of these like white white color boxing fights and stuff. And obviously, where's his, you know, his 18, I'm five, bro, and that wouldn't be fighters. Well, all right, I, I kept saying to him, I'm going to, you need to lose. I want you to lose. And he ended up having an amateur tire boxing fight. That's his first loss. And they, they did a bit of fuckery on him. They switched him. He was supposed to fight a guy that was five and in tire boxing. This is where's his first tire boxing fight. And uh, they switched him without telling us. And then he fought a guy that was seven and over, a pro already. Like, he'd already had like quite a few pro fights. He's a really good fighter. Malcolm Jack, his name is. And, uh, but they, then he fought him. As an amateur. Yeah, so he just jumped in to take his opponent, his, his teammate's place, who'd apparently pulled out of injury. But no one told me on Wes. And I'm looking at the guy and I'm thinking, I'm done. I looked at this guy on Instagram. I don't think this is the guy. But then in my head, I was half thinking like, mm, well, it's Wes. He's winning. Do it anyway. And he ends up having like this really good fight, really good fight, like back and forth. For an amateur fighter, mate, it was really exciting, man. He was with the elbow pads on and stuff, so throwing elbows. Wes never done any of that before, do you know what I mean? And then he's getting stuck in there. He's in a clinch at one point and... I remember he was in the clinch and I, I heard him, he was in, right above me and I heard him get kneed and go like, oh, like, and I knew it hurt him, but then I was like, come on, Wes, and then he, he went back, do you know what I mean? I was like, oh, that's what I want to see. And he lost the decision. And then to be fair, it knocked his confidence a bit. And uh, then I, I just felt like the change in him a little bit, like he did lose and then he's like, oh shit, like I've lost. Then he lost an amateur uh, mixed martial arts fight. And then he kind of like, you know, was a bit like ebb and flow then like he'd win one lose one but it's because it was like you went like that experiment thing it's like we've entered that now and now you've realized one you're not indestructible and what you were doing before is not going to get you to the top now you're fighting like better caliber of opposition guys with like more extensive records and bigger backgrounds yeah they're not it's not a cakewalk do you know what i mean you're not just going to be able to go to like your go-to move and get the win if you're in a bit of trouble now it's like you've got a problem solved whilst you're in there. You've got to see if you can go to that next yeah. gear. It's like you've con- you're going to come back. You know what I mean? It's When you're cornering someone, it's funny. Like you, you're you fighting and it is a marathon. So it's like you can win a round, but then you lose the next round. So when the guy loses the next round, he's not remembering that he won the first round. He's only thinking, I've just lost that round. Like, what's going on here? And then it's we like, have short memories though. Yeah, exactly. It's so short. Like, And it could even be a three-second memory. It's like you could be doing really well. And then you get like a big shot and you're like, shit and that's all you remember that's it. exchange to exchange yeah. punch to punch and that's literally how it is sometimes and it's like okay i need to see then as an amateur like can he do that in there on the fly so like i don't want him to lose at the time so like we always train to win i'm not training him to lose but then it's like you realize that after enhance like those things are important important part of his development and then like you know how's he reacting when he's just lost the round and he's tired and it's like is he looking for a way out and everyone will look a little bit but then it's like maybe just that one little word is going to give him an encouragement and he'll go back out and, and win it. Do you know what I mean? The next one. And Thailand is, is like, the if you go to Thailand and fight for a gym, that's how it's going to be. It's like, you're just going to run that experiment. Like one day you could fight someone that's had like 10 fights or something, or you could even fight like a tuk-tuk driver. That's what the classic, you fight a tuk-tuk driver. If you win a few of them in a row, next thing, you know, you, you fight like a super, superstar show. It might be outdoor festival, King's birthday against some guy that's fucking some tie that's had like 75 wins that's like the two extremes yeah, and then you get yeah. fucking and that can be overnight yeah in the space of a week literally it's like mad so but that's why that i think more more importantly as well that like going to thailand doing that brings people on mentally more so you'll hear a lot of guys that have been there and come back and they'll say like the number one thing that changed is that they get used to the chaos like you're fighting all the time 
you know, you, you don't know when you're going to fight. There's no like camp. It's literally just like, oh, you come back from training one day. Oh, if we have pull out you today, you okay, fight tonight? And you're like, what? They got, and you're just stressing, you know what I mean? So there's loads of guys that have just been through that, that have then come back to like a nice, like European show or something. Oh, bloody hell. Everything's organised. Oh, this is easy. Fighting on this day, oh, oh. fighting this guy. I've even got like a list of what I'm fighting <laughs> in it, and we're sticking to that. You know what I mean? So I think sometimes there's a beauty as well of like encouraging guys to try and get into uncomfortable situations. And like with Wes, I've matched him a bit naughty. Like the one, the ones that I think it was last year, yeah. He, he, he lost the fight. He fought Chris Morris. He lost five rounds. And someone else had pulled out. And uh, two weeks later, and it was a title fight. And then I just said to Wes, like, you're doing it. And his reaction straight away was like, yeah, yeah. Like, he didn't go like, oh, I don't know, man, I've got an injury. And that told me everything. And it's like he was yeah, willing to do it. that says a lot. It's just like, he's just game. Do you know what I mean? So obviously then it's my responsibility to get I need to manage that game to not make sure he's getting hurt. But you know, when you watch a matchup as well, you think, you can see the danger. Like if, if some guys, they might not be technically that good, but they're wild and they've got power and they're like, oh my God, he's dangerous. Doesn't matter how good you are, he's in 30 seconds, he's a handful, he's probably going to give you a white flash. But there's other guys you watch them and they might be, you know, like much better record and much more skilled and polished, but Very they're not neat. as dangerous. Yeah, it's neat and it's like, it's quite safe. Yeah, like sometimes predictable like, yeah, in the, a way. The better the guys, like sometimes you see the ties and they're almost easier to fight because I can see when he's going to kick so I can block it, or when I kick and he blocks, it's like a clean connection. It's all a system, isn't it? Yes, and everyone knows, yeah, it's yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Whereas the dangerous guys are like them, you know, prime Tony Ferguson. Yeah. You don't know what's coming, he's kicking me in the shin, and like, what the hell? <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? It's funny, actually, it's like a funny story, actually, about Forrest Griffin for this UFC China role. He interviewed me and Mark as well, and he said to Mark, apparently, like, one of the things he was talking about was, like, oh, Forrest Griffin interviewed yeah, yeah, you for he, it. Yeah, yeah. He, he's the head of the uh, the Vegas branch, and then apparently, like, he was asking Mark about, like, some striking stuff, and he was kind of, like, he's very interested, he's a really nice character, and then he goes to Mark, the first time I got kicked in the car, I thought it was an accident, he was like, that's, <laughs> he was like, what the hell? So that's, like, where, like, that's early 2000s striking is compared to where it is now, like, now it's all systemized, it was not systemized back then, but that's why sometimes it's like more dangerous and it's like that. Those guys that are a bit unorthodox, they're a problem. Like you can see a guy that might sometimes a guy that might be like seven in seven with his record, but he's dangerous, man. And it's like they're the guys that might not want my guy to fight him just yeah. purely because of that. And it might not even bring him on that much. That's it, you might not get a whole lot out of it because you're not yeah. gonna fight someone in the UFC like that. Literally, and, you know what I mean? You might get sparks because they throw a really hard kick completely naked, you're not used to it. And then all of a sudden you're like, what the fuck? You know what yeah. I mean? But then on the other end of the section, there might be a guy in my gym, and then it might be like there might be a guy that only fights well when it's all perfect, and then it's like okay, you need some chaos, man. You need to fight someone that's like a bit scrappy, and it's not always going to be pretty. Or like find guys in the gym that can do that for him, because it, it's like we when we're training for fights, like um, we're slowly building to that top point. Do you know what I mean? It's like you, you got time to do it. So at the start, you're open to everything. I'd say you've got a window of about five to six years to build your habits. You know what I mean? Then first, I think you're very, um, you like Play-Doh in the first couple of years. It's like you can try one thing and then three weeks later, change your style completely and try a different thing. Whereas once you get to like five years, you're quite cemented. Like you've got your habits that you'd always go to. Um, That's really interesting. I never thought about that before. 
I think that's quite true. Once you get to a certain point, it's very hard very to go hard back to change. and change something. And then you can almost ruin someone then. Like I've had to work with now as like a like a guy that's working with guys like Jai Herbert or Tim Wild is a really good example. Tim Wild came to me thirty four. You know what I mean? Like, He's been doing karate 20 years. He's been doing, what can I do to Tim? I can't show him. I did want to ask you about that, actually. You know yeah, I mean? Tim, yeah. He's a classic one. How do you approach someone like him, you know, entering part of his later, yes. later part of his career, how that's different to coaching someone like Wes? Wes is like at that stage where it's like, we can not throw the, what is it, throw the uh, baby out with the bathwater. You don't want to like completely roof it, but you, he has got that time. It's like if we needed to, we could just strip it right back and go like, right, we just need to go back to basics and like learn how to jab properly or whatever it might be. With Tim, if I start going like, right, we're going to do like, um, I don't know, like Soviet boxing style now, because that's what I know. That's good for me. Like, that's how I know coaching. I'm just going to fuck him up. Tim's getting sparked out now because he's trying to land like Soviet jabs and he just he ain't got it in him. It's not in his DNA anymore. It's like you've lost that element of, it's not that you can't teach an old dog new tricks, but it's just going to be much harder. And uh, you, you can't, you do also got to be careful. You, you're skating along where it's like, if, I do too much like a, of this thing, is that going to take away from what he already does well? So it's like you've got to find new things that, yeah, okay, I might need to add something to it. Like you might need to do this, but how much is that going to fuck with what he's already doing? So if I start taking away his best assets, what's he going to do then? Do you know what I mean? It's like now essentially, it's like you're, you're turning a black belt into a white belt almost because he's trying to get to do something that he's only really been doing for six months. Well, yeah, it could be like, you know what I mean? Someone that's a really good top player, good passer, heavy pressure. Yeah. Then saying, oh, I want you to, you know, start playing rubber guard. Literally, imagine. And then, but not only do that, okay, we're going to do rubber guard, but we're doing it for ADCC yeah. finals. That's it. There's no trial period We've for got this. three months yeah. now to get this fucking rubber guard <laughs> shit up. It's like, that's just not going to work, do you know what I mean? So that's why when you get to, like, Tim's stage, we're always adding stuff, like, between the camps. That's really important. But then once it gets to the camp, my job has been, like, Dry Herbert's another guy I'm working with, is to, like, make sure that we just... We've got a toolbox now and you know you don't need every tool for every job you know what i mean so it's like if you're a plumber you don't always need a screwdriver you know what i mean so it's like while we're practicing that just fuck that off you know what I mean? it's distracting you just focus now on these three things and like what teams had really good success with at, at the the time i've worked with him is we've we've I think together we worked for the alfie davis fight which i wasn't in the corner for that one not saying that it would have changed anything but um that was like a striker striker matchup. And then he fought Saul Rogers. I, I was cornered that one. Then he fought Chris Gonzalez. And then his last one was Mike Hamill. All very similar. So he's had like like 18 months of similar camps. Then all the things that we did with Saul, they just got better for the next one. And then it got better for the next one. That's why I think he's ended up stopping his last opponent. So in my opinion, the last opponent was the best one out of the three. But that's the one he knocked out. And that doesn't always tell that opponent just this. Do you know what I mean? It's just that Tim's... Had kind that, of Tim's narrative, he was yeah, building momentum with he each built one. It, and then he got to the point where like he got the, the finish at the right time, do you know what I mean? But working with Tim has been like a big learning curve for myself as a coach because at his age and stuff, I was always like, I don't want to come in now and try and tell him that right, you need to do this or you need to do that. It's like I'll just kind of let him show me. And then if I watch him and then think, Oh, we could do this, or like I watch him spar and I think, You did this really well, we should do that more. Do you know what I mean? Like rather than trying to go like this is a system do that do you know what I mean we've got a system for uh, like his movement patterns that was the number one thing I think I helped with him which is the most basic thing in the world is understanding why and when he's moving so there's certain things that he can do to take a takedown away like with his footwork 
Uh, there's certain things that he can do by changing stance and and set certain things up just to literally just move. You know what I mean? So if you went and watched the videos that you'd see the certain movement patterns that he's done that we've put as like um like an autopilot. So when you're competing, you want to be able to do things that are like uh, non-cognitive, do you know what I mean? So it's like, I don't know, for jiu-jitsu, classic example, when you rather white belt, they don't know how to keep like what you call like sticky hooks with their butterfly guard. Yeah. So they just don't engage their legs. They have to think to do that. Whereas you're doing that without thinking about doing it. You're always it. applying it, tension. There's a point or, where it goes from being conscious to subconscious. Yeah, and that's just an automatic thing. And then sometimes what happens is a coach then forgets that that's a thing. A thing. He's like just showing you, yeah, so we, you know, we're in the butterfly guard now. He's not saying that like, you need to keep this leg engaged as a white belt because I'm doing that automatically. So we loads of things that he's doing without thinking about doing. So he's only coaching the things that he thinks that you need to coach as a step-by-step -step without filling in the gaps of like, you need, in order for that to even work, you have to be doing this. And that's the bit that you have to be doing without thinking about it. So with striking, there's things that you can be doing that without thinking. And the number one thing that beats a guy is when he starts overthinking everything. It's like, so with Tim, we have a few movement patterns that I like him to go through like as a cycle. So it's like, without giving like too much away, it's like, okay, one, two, three, nothing's happened, step back. One, two, three, nothing's happened, step back. One, two, three, strike. You know what I mean? So that way then he's got a little system of like basic stuff, like maybe a low kick, maybe a jab, like none, none at risk strikes, like high, high reward, low risk. Not trying to do like a wheel kick out of nowhere or a big combination. It's like just a jab, step off. If he's having to overthink or think too much about something, we need to just do something. So a little faint and then move. You know what I mean? And so he things, always knows where he is. Yeah. And you're fighting then for rather than fighting for like 15 minutes, you're almost fighting like three, then three seconds at a time. So it's like um, taking away a guy's rhythm and not letting him settle, but then you're not overthinking like, what do I do? Like, what do I land? And then in that time, you're thinking the guy's done something to you. Do you know what I mean? So it's like... Unpicking the chaos of it. Yeah. And to, Tim's really good at it. And because he had good footwork anyway, it's like the, the, the things just gel together really well. There's other guys I've worked with and they just can't comprehend that. It's like just too difficult for them. And then it's like, okay, you're, you're better off just being an in-your-face, just cause you to the wind fight. Yeah, and then maybe, I don't know, letting it fly. Yeah, yeah. Because um, if I start trying to tell you, even that, you aren't even going to get to the point where you can do something like that on autopilot. You just think about the, the capacity, you know what I mean, for whatever reason. So, like, you're taking a fight from scratch. And then first few times you've got a lot of moldability. They're really important, and that's where like most gyms, I think, can get it a bit wrong. Where the head instructor coaches the fighters, and then he lets the lower grade guy teach the beginners, because the beginners is the boring class to teach. Because you're teaching guys in tracky bottoms, you know what I mean, like how to stand up. But really, that should have the most attention on it, because that's your foundation for everything. So it's like if you have a gym, the the best coach should teach the beginners. And you can let the fighters get coached by someone almost that's not as good because they're already doing all the good stuff. The base is good anyway. They're able to fill in the gaps Yeah, themselves, themselves a lot of it. You know, And that mean? could be a helpful process. I, I, well, I found that for me personally. Obviously, it's good having Joe like taking the reins and being the head coach, trying to do this and do that. But there's certain times where figuring something out for myself 
is actually more beneficial more, because it yeah, sticks yeah. in your mind more oh, and you've found it through a way that's more intuitive to you. Because I was laughing with Wesley, that was funny, we were doing a jiu-jitsu class and then like, I, you know the gift wrap? Yeah. I got the gift wrap, man. My gift wrap is like a go-to thing. I get it from side control all the time to put a back tape. So when the guy's arm, I bring that arm across that way and then use that to take the back and you put your shin into their back, step over with your leg and you kind of pull them in. Like, once I'd figured that out, I don't know how I figured it out, if anyone showed it me, but for some reason that's stuck. But there's loads of other shit that, like, I've drilled it and it just does not go in yeah. for whatever reason. And then it, like, I said to Wesley, like, you've got to do it, though. We were doing something the other day and it just felt like neither one of us could probably do it or would ever do it. But it's like, you still have to learn it. You still have to just do that class. That's it. For, the fact, I mean? for the fact, you know, that someone else may do it to you yeah. you need to know it so someone else is doing it you're like oh yeah i know what this is and the other thing is, like this. you don't you don't know what's going to stick so it's like you have to do it because it might stick yeah. it might that might be the thing that changes your game that day you don't know but so it's almost like you've got to do all this trial and error until you get eventually get the game that works best for you and then obviously there's other things with a good coach i'm sure joe will do it for you like there might be an area where you purposely just think I fucking hate doing this. Like, it might be spider guard or something. And then Joe recognizes, though, that for you to set up a certain thing, you fucking need to do that. Yeah. So I'm just going to make you do that now. And you're just going to hate me for it. But that's going to be worth it for you. Because when you get it, you're going to love it. But you are resisting. Do you know what I mean? So I've got every, I've got all the lads I work with. There's something that they hate doing. I can just tell. And I feel like, okay, some, some guys that the thing that hate doing is not going to help them in the long run. But then there's other guys, it's like, you have to do that. It's like, it's not, it's a non-negotiable. Like, you, for your game to get to the next point, it's like, you have to just do that and that. Like, Wes, for example, it's, I says to him, I said, after Chris Morris fight as well, like, we drove all the way up to fucking Preston and we we'll spent about £400 in, they put us in a shit travel lodge, mate. Imagine that, they put us in a travel lodge, I turn up, open my bed sheet, there's blood on the bed sheet. I'm looking at Wes, yeah. and I'm like, mate, not, not the night I slept in a tracking, mate. I'm like, this is fucking bullshit. Yeah, I've had to do that before. So then I thought, the next night, I thought, fuck this, I'm booking, uh, they hadn't even paid for the next night before. I'm like, definitely not booking here. So I paid, I couldn't just make power for it so we could stay in like a better hotel. But obviously all the petrol money and stuff like that, missed work for about two days. And then he just got wrestled for, for like five rounds. Like Chris Morris just, just like, just schooled him. Like, I thought Wes did a really good job when I saw a lot of things because he didn't quit. So there was loads of times where like, it's that, it was that Khabib system, like just chain wrestling. Yeah. And then he, he kept getting to a, like a body triangle on the back on Wes. And that's a position where if you just want to give it up, you can give a joke up quite easily. And there's one point where I'm pretty sure Chris was quite quite good under his chin. And Wes is like, fuck you, I'm not giving that up. Do you know what I mean? So he went through his five rounds. And even to the point where going out for the last round, I says to him, you lost, mate. You're probably not going to knock this kid out neither. But just suck it up for me and just lose this round, please. Like just go out there and just survive. Just do not give up. Do you know what I mean? So we could go back to drawing board after. It's like we knew that I couldn't tell him anything in that the minute between the rounds. That's going to change the course of his fight. You didn't give him the Dave Lavelle Rocky speech. Oh, there was nothing. <laughs> I knew it wasn't happening, mate. I looked at him and I said, to him, mate, I said, she's losing anyway. I said, you might as well throw a few crazy things. Like, if you get the head kick, you get the head kick, mate. But like, this is beyond your, your means today. So we'll just lose this one. We'll go back. And uh, But then after that, I said, look, man, he hadn't been wrestling. He hadn't really been wrestling for like two years. And he was still fighting. Do you know what I mean? He's fighting Chris Morris, who's like 11 and 2, like a legit, really good. One of the best fighters in the UK by far at the minute. I think he's turning pro soon. I've really, really rated him from watching that fight because he's composed as well. And another thing about him, why I'm so impressed with him, is that he lost by knockout to Dennis Frimpong. I don't know if you heard of Frimpong. No. A loud mouth Irish fighter, but he's funny. He's on Octagon and they've done like an ultimate fighter series, but he's on that. 
talks a load of shit. I think he made George Staines get upset, which is it went a bit viral because he made him cry. He called his nan like a tranny or something. Oh, this is ridiculous. <laughs> but basically, he knocked out Chris Morris. And that's a point where, like, that's a make or break. It's like you, if you're undefeated and then you've been knocked out, which is the most humiliating way that a man can probably lose. Yeah, that, that's going to yeah. go one of two ways. You know what I mean? And then for him to come back and then fight Wes, who's known for being, like, a puncher and, like, just kind of take the fight to him, basically. Like, complete composure. I was like, that kid's good, man. Like, that shows that he's able to come back from something bad and not let that ruin or define him as a fighter. He just, nope, I lost by knockout, that's a drawing board. Whatever he's coaching, they're doing a fantastic job with him. Do you know what I mean? And uh, but where's got fight so in that fight, he loses. And as we drive back, I'm thinking like, man, I'll just do this every weekend if it if it takes it. Just because Wes, I knew he's a, as a competitive guy. He wasn't like a he's not a journeyman, so he didn't lose that fight. And go, oh well, he was pissed. He was like, fucking hell, I lost that guy, man. And I was like, yeah, but you don't wrestle like properly. You've not been known to renegade on the Monday with Rocky in his class, like consistently. For, for ages, so you, you know now that as much as you know that you can punch people and stuff like that, you've got a big hole in your game and he can find it. You think the next guy's not going to try and fight it. You're on YouTube now, mate. You know what I mean? Forever. There's people that can go watch that fight. Every time they're going to fight, you're going to go and watch that and see there's a system. So you need to now go back to the gym and learn and deal with that shit. And I'll take you to a show every weekend so you keep feeling that embarrassment until one day, if that's going to be your resting experience, having a fight, then we're just going to do that. I see he's sore sense. I was like, yeah, I'm not going to do that and waste your time and waste your money. So um, I'll go to the gym on the, on the Mondays. And then his last fight, because he'd lost the Chris Morris one, he was so much more composed. And he's in the same positions, fighting the hands, like the same resting sequences. And this time he was able to get through it. Do you know what I mean? And that, that that's where now, let's say he turns pro this year or whatever, in it, two years' time or a year's time. He's been through everything now. So then it's like, it's going to be much harder for someone as a pro to find the hole. It can still happen because it's just fighting. Um, and also, he's had a very holistic amateur Yeah, career. and then it's like, and he can go there as well in co with confidence in the change room of being like, yeah, I've fought really good guys and I've been submitted, but I've also got out of submissions and I've been wrestled and dominated. But then since that fight, I've, I've defended loads of takedowns and like I've put in my due diligence. So you can be in the change rooms and think like I've, I've had a complete go. Do you know what I mean? And I was always like that because myself when I'd be in the changing room, like I'd like to know that, oh yeah, I can get knocked out. Like he's got a good head kick and he can catch me, but I know that I'm prepared mentally. Like that's not going to like, I'm not scared of it. It's almost like you've sight yourself up to a state where you bring it on then. You know what I mean? So I want ways in the mindset now, like wrestle, fuck me, come on, then you can, you can take me down, take me down then. You know what I mean? You've got to have that kind of dog in you to almost want to face what you're not good at to overcome it. Do you know what I mean? That's when you know someone's going to be like a really good fighter. Um, I can't think of any examples where that's happened and guys have gone on. I'd say Rockies is a great example because obviously he lost to Kamar Usman and Claudio Silva. His UFC uh, debut was a loss. Then he won one in eight seconds with a yeah. knockout. So the one everyone remembers. Yeah, that, that's yeah. the one, you know what I mean? Then his one after that was Kamar Usman. So if you think about mine and your start, we, we lost hey, yeah. one lost. Well, so I am in good company. In good yeah. company, man. So Rocky's, he lost one lost. And then if you think, what's his biggest strength now? He's probably his anti-wrestling. As much as he's a fantastic yeah. striker and athlete, it's the fact that he's able to prevent things from going to the floor. If it does and he's even floor, gone one step up. further, hasn't he? To now he's taking he's guys now. Exactly. Taking down Usman, taking down and Colby. And that's only because of that probably initial run in the UFC where he was like, 
you know, the era he's from, they weren't able to have like extensive amateur experience. So it's like he was very much learning on the job as a pro. I think he only had about maybe, maybe five to 10 fights as an amateur. It's not much, is it? You know what I mean? And this is back in like 2000 and probably like 10, 11. Yeah, that's the thing when you don't have a fancy setup, you've got to... Mate, you got to make yeah. it work. Yeah, man, yeah. That's the thing about YouTube as well, mate. I'll tell you what, I got to my 20,000 subscribers on that from, I always say it, from my, basically like, not, it's not my mum's basement, but like it's just my living room, you know what yeah. I mean? I mean? There's nothing fancy about it. I got a little Canon camera, I think it was 200 pound off eBay. The microphone was probably the most expensive thing. I think I got a Rode, you know, the Rode ones. That was about 100 and something quid. Yeah. I might have to, yeah, ask you for a link to investing recommendations. I'll get the Rode, I would. Yeah. It's a Bluetooth one, but you can okay. you put that on your camera or whatever. I don't know if, how compatible it is with a phone, but it, it does enhance it massively. That's the number one thing with uh, with anything on YouTube is the audio. Yeah. Because um, people have said, like, the audio is like, good on this, good. but it, I... Obviously, I'm a perfectionist, but it, it could it could obviously be better. These are very cheap blue, blue yeah, yeah. mics. They're good though, yeah. man. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. As long as you, exactly. Yeah. As long as you can hear, it's crisp. That's the main thing, man. So I think that people sometimes with the YouTube and stuff, you know, they think too far ahead and they, they get too much stuff too early. <clears throat> they let uh, perfection be the enemy of progress. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Yeah, man. That's 100% right. And that, that's another expression I use for um, the strikers, a paralysis by analysis. I don't know where I heard that. I don't think I came up with that. I'm not smart enough. Yeah. But, like, no, I've, I've, just, heard, I've heard it before, yeah. You just, you know, you're overthinking things. And that, with stuff like this, you just got to like, go and just pump it out. And you'll just learn as you go, do you know what I mean? So you just, the more you do it, the better you get it. And then, you know, even in hindsight, it's like you can just, you just do it again if you need to, do you know what I mean? Like, we could do this podcast in a year's time again. You know what I mean? It's just, is what it is. Yeah. Just put it out there, get it out there, do another one. Like I said, every week, you've said that now on camera. Yeah, I have, I have said it on camera. Yeah, 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 I've committed to you've it. Committed. Yeah, so I've got that external counter pressure. That's it. That, that's, no. Keep ticking over on it and you'll get there. It's the repetitions, isn't it? Same as with striking, grappling, get the reps out, more fights, more sparring sessions. Consistency. That's the thing with everything in life. Like the, my, I remember my dad when I was a kid. He, my dad's like one of them guys. He's like the smartest guy. He's most annoying. Like he'll say to me, and he's just like, oh, he just, he doesn't give you the answer. He, you know what I mean? He always gives you the problem. To he solve gives you it. the question. Yeah, to yeah, that's it. Find the answer. I remember the one thing he says to me. He's like, do you want to make money in life? Like just hang around with rich people. And I was just like, what kind of logic is that? Does any make sense? Because then as a PT. What are your best clients? It's the guys yeah. with access to money. The people with money. The people who can pay you. And they, they're <laughs> usually the one. Okay, the problems I've had with people with a bit of wealth sometimes is they can talk to you a little bit with a sense of entitlement and expectation. So sometimes guys almost talk to me as a padman as if like I'm in the cupboard, like I'm Woody from Toy Story. I'm just, until they come in the room, I just don't do anything. They text me the night before, pads tomorrow morning. And like, mate, yeah, you know, yeah, you get that, don't you? It's work, yeah. man. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> or, or even funnily enough, they pay late or something like that. Because obviously for them, like whatever you charge for a PT, it's such a small amount. It's almost like inconsequential. Yeah. So for me, I'm like fucking. And they're, they're always changing money around so much. Yeah. They don't even think about stuff. it. Yeah. It's not it like a personal thing. Yeah. And then you're like, oh, but then if you actually want to make the money though, you want the guys that have access to it. So it's like my dad. My dad's analogy was like, would you rather like one PT that can pay loads or thirty PTs? And then you got to deal with thirty people. 
like you just want one, don't you? Yeah. It's like you want to, my dream was always like, <clears throat> John Wick, Keanu Reeves, just do that. Because imagine what, or Zuckerberg, because imagine what he can pay. It's like, I don't think, Zuckerberg, I'll charge £35 an hour at the minute. So Zuckerberg, he's not going to charge me £35. Is it, I wouldn't think so anyway. I bet he's going to give you a whole See you know what I mean? She's like, what you want? And that's it. And so that's the, so however you can get into those circles is, you know, not, you don't have to do it nasty, but it's like that will open the doors, you know what I mean? It's like, like a good example at the minute, um, someone I've seen come from like in a really short space of time is a guy called Lammy on uh, social media, a photographer. If you go and follow him, he's uh, literally learned to do video editing and photography like two years ago, bought himself a camera and he went the one way to be fair where he bought loads of expensive stuff. I'm not sure what his background is in terms of like his work and that, but he bought like really expensive cameras and stuff like that, but then forced himself because of this investment to learn it. But then when it comes to actually like um, getting himself out there, he, he just didn't charge anyone to start with. He was just coming in. Can I do this for you? Can I do that for you? And it, like he walks into Renegade basically. And next thing you know, he's, he's shooting for Rocky and he's coming to Dublin with Baven. He comes to Chicago with me and Tim. And it's like by putting himself out there and doing things for free and just going like, right, I need to learn this now. And because I, in his opinion, he didn't believe he was that good yet. Well, I don't even think I can charge you yet. But that's now opening doors for him because he's put himself amongst those people with more connections and more opportunities at stake. But at the start, with he didn't come in there with like, okay, I'm going to charge this, this, and this, and make it almost overcomplicated. And that's another thing people with money don't want complicated; they want the opposite. Yeah, simple. Simple. They've got a finite amount of time. Money's not the um, the limit to them; it's their time. It's the time. So if you can save them time in any way, shape, and form, that's how they're going to work best. Like, I think the first session I did with Rocky, not even saying that it was money, like, and I, I didn't charge him either, but it was in the lockdown, and I just ended up going to his garage, and I just literally said, like, do you want to train tomorrow? Like, I said, what have you done? It was the Gilbert Burns fought Tyron Woodley, stole his fight. He couldn't go anywhere. He hadn't done any training. So that's when you first started that's working with him. when I first Leon. started working with him. Had you trained with him before that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sparred yeah. Him. yeah. Nothing positive, man. The guy, <laughs> you, like, go on, let, let's go into it, because I wanted to ask you this. Like, what, what's... What's sparring with Leon like? Shite, mate. Like I said, didn't account for Nate Diaz. That was that was fine. Yeah, because be I, I remember, I can't remember if I heard from Joe. I think I saw some um, stuff that you posted on Instagram as well. You did a lot of rounds with him for the Diaz fight, didn't you? That, like, because that fight as well got pulled a month before. So imagine this. We're like, we're going to fucking the uh, airport in the morning. Wake up really early in the morning. I've got all my stuff packed in that. I look at my phone. There's a text from a guy from America. Sorry, boys. Uh, hold it, no fight, no flights. And then I'm sat there like, what? Like, what, what do I do This now? was the, the Woodley fight? No, nah, this was the Diaz fight. The Diaz fight? Yes, they what? pulled it. And then, so he had a cut apparently. But at the time, they didn't disclose the information because obviously he didn't want to say, I've got a cut. Because then obviously that's a potential target area, isn't yeah. it? So he just kept it all quiet. But we just got like, and this is the other thing with the UFC, isn't that, that any promotion you realise, it's like very, mixed martial arts is the wild west. Like, the best thing about it is that anyone in the fucking world, like Joshua Fabio with Diego Sanchez or all these, like, the movement guy, Ida Patel, with Conor McGregor, like, anyone with no background, David Goggins can do the corner for the UFC, <laughs> but no credentials, and you can get somewhere. And even in the media, you can be no one, mate, and you can get into rooms that you think, how the fuck am I in here with, like, people that's supposed to be, like, superstars? But the, the, the barrier of entry is so low. But then because of that, there's almost the, the opposite. is an oversaturation of it. Do you know what I mean? There's 
anyone can do it, anyone can get in anywhere. Do you know what I mean? So it's like there's it's the best thing about it, but also the worst thing about it. So when you're dealing with people, sometimes you think, where's that professionalism? He literally texts me like, sorry, boys. <laughs> I'm literally sitting with my bags. My whole life, it's two weeks of pack. Not happening. No more information. No nothing. And like, I'm just like, what the hell? And Rocky's obviously screwing. Rocky's like distraught. And I was the first one to wake up. So I was there like all primed and ready. And then I'm in a group chat. And this was in a group chat. And I'm waiting for someone else to type or someone else. And no one's going. And I think I'm going to the airport soon. I'm thinking he doesn't even know yet. He's still in bed. And then I've got to uh, ring Rocky up and tell him. And I see he's wounded. Do you know what I mean? He's like, what? What? What do you mean? It's, it's cancelled. <laughs> that's, like, that's a good Leon impression. Yeah, <laughs> and then you got to check the group chat, bro. And then he was like, ah, oh, what? And then... <laughs> Obviously, it all falls through. They push the fight a month, and uh, but that's what I mean. It's the chaos. Like sometimes you, don't, but how I, can't, I can't remember that. I couldn't remember the fight getting pushed back. So it fucked everything up. So it, like Fabian was supposed to fight the week after against Austin Vanderford. This is in the COVID restrictions. Fabian was supposed to go out with like Camby, Danny Callied, and Henry Clemenson. They were all supposed to be there for Rocky's fight with Diaz. So what was supposed to happen is they're all going to go over, then they're all just going to go over and do Fabian's corner. So Rocky and that was all just going to stay. You know what I mean? Stay in America once they were there. Oh, that will happen now. And obviously the lockdown's in place. So when you come back from the international, you've got to do a two-week quarantine and this, that, and the other. It was bullshit. So they all pulled out of corner and Fabian. So then I was like, oh, for fuck's sake. I felt terrible. So me and basically Fabian's mate, Kieran Newell, like when I say his mate, he trains with Fabian and he was an amateur fighter, but he was not a coach. So like, he's not a coach. He's, he's not, not a, a coach, player. mate. My guy is not a coach. Like, and to the point where we were in the corner at one point, and I had to go, Kieran, shut up, man. He was just doing like a running commentary. He's like, Fabian, did a jab, does he, did a jab, did a kick, did a kick. And I'm like, fucking hell, you can't, like, you need to be quiet, man. Like, this is professional. I remember Joe recounted a similar experience. He said Mark um, put him in the corner once. Just oh, kind of like, he uh, did, yeah. yeah. For, uh, <laughs> just, just for like the experience. I know it. He it. fought a guy called Ben Craggy in London. I know that fight. And Mark banged the guy out. He, he knocked him out. He did. And Joe said he was just like, splash his teeth yes, in Mark, kill him. <laughs> and the funny thing is, in Thai boxing, like, it's a bit, I don't know what the word is, but like, I don't know, it's like pageantry, man. You're like Everyone wears these fancy little waistcoats and stuff like that. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. you've seen it in the corners, like yeah, these yeah. flash ones and that. Yeah. I see Joe's there in his little waistcoat and that. <laughs> oh, like, he had one of those? Yeah, bro, like... he had the full gear in that. He's got the case. Well, we've, got, we've got to find the footage. I know, imagine. <laughs> I think he was probably a blue belt at that point. So he wasn't even like a... A martial arts like guy yet you know what i mean just, he, he wasn't even experienced in, in the any capacity you know yeah. what i mean and then he's there with mark and mark's like that, that fight if you google it it's fucking hilarious man like mark just has he goes out there just forces exchanges it's insane so it's ben craggy he's like swinging big over and mark's just like going into the pocket just fucking just trying to knock his head off and in the end he did he just he leveled him i think it was an uppercut or something like properly slept him but if mark watched that fight he'd be so embarrassed because he was just like yeah like there was just no intelligent fighting whatsoever was having, it was going there and throw windy hammers and who's going to get banged out, do you know what I mean? Oh, God. That was literally the, the last fight he had in the UK, I think, before we went travelling. Because we went to America in two, a month after that, I think. Yeah. I think that's why Joe ended up going in the end because there was a few messing arounds and uh, he ended up going with just another trainer called Adam. Um, I can't remember what city. It was London, yeah. I'm pretty sure it was London. I can't even remember how we got on that topic now. Yeah, so, no, so I, I interrupted. <laughs> you, you were saying about um, Leon and uh, and Diaz and then how it messed up Fabian's corner and all of that. Oh, God. Yeah, so we go we go out there and then uh, Fabian loses to Vanderford with my, like, budget wrestling coaching at the time. Like, looking at Kieran Norman, being like, I think he needs to get his leg back in. Do you know what I mean? 
So and it was uh, just you two in the corner. Us two in a silent arena. There was yeah. no people allowed there. It was madness. It, it, again, it was just another thing where I felt that was the first time I'd like done like a big MMA corner, and you just get imposter syndrome straight away. But then I'm looking at Kieran Nor and thinking like, well, you definitely shouldn't be. <laughs> yeah. So I'm okay. I think it was ridiculous. And uh, I had another funny experience like that. I did Aidan Lee's corner in Bellator, Russia, in the, the Moscow one, before the, all this war stuff kicked off. And it was hilarious. Like, Aidan comes out. It's a massive arena fadals, that main event. Do you know what I mean? It's like, it's crazy. We're in Russia and everything like that. And then Matty Byfield's doing the corner. He's me, Matty Byfield. Matty Byfield's got a beanie hat on. And Aidan just comes out to some, like, genetic. I can't remember what it was now. Like, pot of paper or something like that. Just some, just some grime, you know what I mean? You know, you, you're in a, like a... A city of culture. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. You're just coming out R- to that. Russians have a very certain <laughs> culture and grime maybe doesn't fit. You've got that. UK grime <laughs> and Matty Bob with a beanie hat and I'm just thinking, fucking hell, like this is just sur- surreal. Like, am I a real coach? What is this now? Do you know what I mean? And he won that fight as well, to be fair. But that that whole camp for, for Rocky was a bit mad. So then I've ended up coming back after that fight to the UK, straight into a lockdown. And because uh, I had to stay isolated for two weeks. And I had a guy come to my flat to check if I was there as well. And then uh, after, literally I was out of lockdown for one day and then I had to go to America with Rocky. So then I'm in America for two weeks with Rocky for the Diaz fight. Got back, had to do another quarantine. So basically it's seven, six, yeah, seven weeks. Wow, work, that's just like that. a yeah, heavy even, two months or so. Mad. But that fight was like, um, the Diaz one was like an eye-opener for me as well because I'd never done a UFC corner before and I'd never been to a UFC event so I've been a fan of UFC since about 2005 2005 was I think when I first started watching it properly so that's nearly 20 years but that when I walked out there for Diaz one mate I tell you what that was crazy because obviously Diaz is Mexican descent and Arizona's right on the border so there's a lot of these like Mexican fans there so we was in the the bit where you wait like the holding bit and I had like mad long hair at the time Rocky goes to me uh, you carried a flag, the Jamaican and the UK flag. Like, okay. And then all the lights go off and like you can hear Diaz's tune kick in. It was DMX, the rain. Like, it was an epic trap rain. You know what I mean? That guy knows how to come out, do an entrance. And I'm thinking, okay, this is going to be right. But it's quiet back there because you're like kept away. You're like, you know, you're in the back. So you just it's muffled, isn't it? You can kind you of can hear. hear a little bit. Yeah. You know what I mean? But then I can hear it going off the Diaz thing and I'm thinking, okay. And then, uh, they called us to walk through the cameras coming out 10 seconds and then obviously as we start walking that and then as soon as we go through that like the tunnel bit and come out the people it was fucking mental like like to the point where you're getting points thrown at you like the the the, the sound how loud it was, it was mad anyway i was just thinking this is fucking another level this is the place you know what i mean if you're gonna do mixed martial arts and that you've got to be in the ufc yeah man. this is it this, this is the pinnacle man you know what i mean like you've got how many people's in attendance <clears throat> the passion of the fans as well like they're just so enthusiastic in the book like the best and worst way possible and then obviously the fight was crazy because in the last minute mate i'm sat next to bruce buffer mate bruce buffer's there bruce buffer for some reason loves rocky like just loves him dave lavelle's cussing him the whole time thinking that bruce got a thing for rocky mate he's like, that's your boy I like <laughs> you bruce is a really nice guy and then rocky so obviously he kind of half wants rocky to do well you know what i mean he schooled him and then when he gets caught with that punch like, I'm looking at it, and the whole arena is so loud, like, I can't even take in what's happening. And I'm looking at Dave, I'm looking at Rocky, and I can see Rocky almost doing this. Thinking, is he, is he okay? Like, what's going on? And then, like, fuck, I think he's been rocked. And then, literally, Bruce grabbed my leg, 
like grab my thigh and you're squeezing it and I'm looking at Bruce and I'm just like fuck you know it's like the most surreal moment mate like it's like a that was brilliant. little slow motion man I'm just like Jesus Christ and I'm watching Rocky and then I see him like I think Diaz goes to like a punch or something and Rocky kind of half ducks it and grabs him and circles off the cage I knew he was okay then I thought oh he's still seeing things he's fucked but like he still knows what's going on and obviously he wins the fight the crowd's going mad though because Diaz punked him at the last minute so there's a little bit of like an anti-climax to it you know what I mean and then in the end, like, so imagine that. So then all the lockdown, they booked us, the UFC booked our flights at like 7 a.m. So imagine that we have the fight, they're like, after, supposed to be an after fight and that. We've got to be at the airport for like five. We've got to leave at four. By the time Leon's fought and by the time he's in interviews, it's like midnight. So imagine he's just, oh, wow. he's just all yeah. night in it, man. It's just gross. Yeah, you know yeah. I mean? You just feel disgusting. <laughs> I was like, literally, we were in this party bus, man. And uh, they were going, oh, we're going to take you to this club because Paradigm, Rocky's management at the time, they had a couple of other fighters. They were like, we're going to organise you guys to go to this particular venue. And uh, it was City Kickboxing, yeah. So all of their team, like Israel, had fought Marvin Vittori on this card. So we're all going to go on this bus and go to the venue. And then we get in this party bus, mate. And I'm just like getting anxious here. I, I want to go home now. I've had enough of this. It's like a blue lights, like disco ball almost, and that music in the back and that. And then, you know, uh, who's the Scottish guy, the big guy, light heavyweight? Paul Craig. That's it. Yeah. He's in the back. Lagging, mate. Like, lagging. <laughs> and he was talking all loud and that. Like, so where are you going tonight, lads? Are we going to the party? Yeah. Do you want a shot of this? And I'm thinking, fuck no. I'm literally just sat there like that. Like, oh, I don't even want to be in that. Yeah, I'm going to be on a plane in a few hours. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, yeah, we go to this fucking... This, bear in mind, this is all COVID times as well. So this is like your first, like, desensitisation to, like, normal life. Do you know what I mean? And it's hilarious. We go to this venue now. And... Uh, Rocky goes ahead, does his thing or whatever. And it's like people to people like this close. And that, and the city, weirdly enough, I ended up going in with the city kickboxing coach, Eugene, because he was with Israel and, and Brad Riddell had fought as well. Brad Riddell had won his fight. He fought Drew Dober. He was all calm and like, he was chill, like nice chill guy. Israel's partying, like partying, you know what I mean? Then uh, I'm going through this crowd of people and I'm thinking, I don't even know if I want to do this, man. Like, like can I just go? And then like Eugene basically... He, someone like grabbed him or something. You're the Israel coach, and said something crazy to him. Then he pulls out a bottle of hand sanitizer, squirts like half the bottle in his hand, and looks at me. This is insane. What Eugene does. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then he's like, "Do you want to go get? It? What did he say? He's like, Do you want to go get a burrito?" And I was like, "Yeah, go on then." And we just left, man. Yeah, we just left to get a burrito and that. I think a couple of the lads got some weed. I didn't smoke anything, and then we ended up going back to the hotel. And uh, I just well, stayed what was with the them, burrito man. with Eugene like? I was just like. You members buy me burrito, man. Like, this is a really <laughs> fucking match. And then, because obviously he knows Mark Timms as well. And then when he found out that I was his friend and stuff, he was trying to, like, he was just a pest. He was ringing up Mark Timms, like, voice on it. Timms, are you a wanker, you British wanker? I've got your boy here. He says he can beat you up. He was just saying some nonsense like that to him. I thought, fuck you, this guy's crazy. <laughs> another, another one where, like, he's probably one of the best coaches in the sport, but he's also, like, a very unique character. Like, he's someone that, if you could get him for an interview, that's like, going to be worth it do you know what I mean like in yeah. terms of his knowledge and that but also in terms of his like his personality mm. I think he's a bit of a wild man you know yeah, what I mean yeah. a bit different because <laughs> he seems very composed most of yeah, the time yeah. but that's I guess you know what I mean that's, that's just the, the yeah, that's there's, there's a lot more see. there's a lot more of that yeah. like, that's fucking crazy <laughs> yeah. man like he and in terms of their training that like, he beasts them like, yeah yeah, they yeah. Are hard training man he does I don't know if you've heard of it that spider workout I don't know if Joe's told you about that it's like a conditioning circuit that they do like once a week in a camp. And it's just, he'll just think of as many exercises as humanly possible to make you just vomit, you know what I mean? Like Aerodyne bike, 
then you've got to like take people down repetitively and you've got to like spar a minute and you've got to go on the pads for a minute. It's just like rough stuff for five rounds to make you just, but he wants to just put you in that hole where like you just can barely stand up. Yeah. You just got to endure. You yeah. Just endure that. And that's going to not only like physically probably prepare you, but mentally, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's just yeah. the mental side of things. Yeah. Um, so yeah, just to circle back to Leon again, uh, another question I wanted to ask is that past fight with Colby, obviously it's always the case that Leon puts on a good display striking, but especially in that last performance with Colby, he just looked so sharp. Mm. The, the way he was striking, everything was landing and everything was landing cleanly. As someone that's trained with him a lot, coached him, sparred with him, what is it about Leon that makes him such a sharp shooter? Is a lot of it just kind of natural talent? He's naturally very quick and able to find the mark, or do you think it's something as a particular kind of technique or strategy that he's actively cultivated over the years that's kind of added to that sharpness? Leon is what's the word? He's like genetically very gifted, but he's also very clever. So Leon is a type of person where, like, if you're playing poker with him, he's going to be the one that. Will never go all in unless he's unless it's like a a pocket aces. There's an ace on the thing. You know what I mean? He's got a full house. Whatever it's going to be, he ain't going all in. He's got to have a royal flush to go all in. You know what I mean? So he's just going to slowly bleed it and play it like that. He's strategic. Very much like his fighting style. That's how he is. Like, and I think with his technique, when any time I've held a pad through more, it's like unless he will do it perfectly, you won't really want to do it. So it's like he's puts all his time and energy into like just a few techniques and you could you know teach him a lot of stuff he's got the capabilities to do a lot of stuff but i feel like he doesn't want to learn a lot of stuff so he just doesn't he's like he'll just be like ah this is shit like, i'll do the next thing sometimes you watch him sparring and that and it's like he's like he's playing with his food sometimes it's like he didn't do anything and it's boring sometimes it's like Leon, what are you doing or like he'll just go for a, a takedown that he doesn't need to go for and he'll just sit on the guy he'll just hold him in a He's got very good like top pressure, like that's so underrated of him. Really like grimy top pressure. He he's good at pinning people down, and if he can do that for three minutes and coast, he will do it. He's naturally like, like what's the word? I won't say lazy, but like last uh, pack of risk resistance. He's risk averse, yeah. mate. Like he ain't gonna gamble, man, unless it's a certainty. Do you know what I mean? Unless, even if you gave like ninety nine point eight percent certainty, he would still look at you like. Mm. I don't know if I like them odds, do you know what I mean? He's going to want to have like... He wants know, the sure thing. The sure thing. Yeah. And that's how he treats his fighting. Like when he's in there and that everything has to be kind of calculated and measured. And then that's a detriment, I think, at times. But because he is so like naturally athletically gifted and he's so fast, he, he can get away with it. Because when he hits someone, he hurts them. He's a nasty striker. Like even in sparring, he, he didn't really pull his punches, he didn't really pull his kicks. He's not a big puncher, to be fair. He's not. He's not like a. You know, you don't get hit by him and think, "Oh, fucking!" Hell. It's the kicks. The kicks are what like hurt. Like you kick in your body, you kick in your arm, and he'll kick you in your guard, and it will just make you think, "Oh, fucking hell!" And then it's almost like he'll keep you in a in an area where you're like, mm, "I just don't want to do that for all again." So then you'll do as little as possible to almost just survive the round. So you keep you in an area where you're almost just happy to just get through a round. Because you, you know, I don't even want to take a gamble. So sometimes his sparring partners, people have criticised it. Is that like uh, they don't go for it with him much because 
they're almost just like, ah, oh, five minutes. How just counting down the second in the head. I've got a minute more to go. I'm getting through it. You know what I mean? They're just happy to get out of the, the cage without being fucked up. But then, and, that, and that's kind of what happened in the Colby fight. Literally, right? Colby yeah. was kind of so worried about getting stung by Leon because whenever he did come forward, Leon would pull back, crack him with that left just, hand. He ain't gonna and Colby again. didn't want to in- engage with that. No. Like, why would you if you get <laughs> cleanly each time? He's grappling, his, and also he's fucking massive. Like Rocky, when I first met Rocky back in yeah, would have been like 2013, I think. So I used to go to UGC back in the day. I was just I was a sparring partner for guys like Asimov Hack like way back before. Before like Rocky was even on the quite scene. An amateur, yeah. Like uh, then he's like obviously slowly paved his way through. And it was when I came back from China that he was like really established then. And uh, I, he was in the UFC, but by that point, and uh, I sparred him. And like uh, I thought, fucking, hey, he's good. And then, if, funnily enough, this was like two thousand, yeah, two thousand eighteen even. And he caught me with a head kick, like just just got my hand back. He threw the classic cross head kick. So he's been doing that since like day dot. And that was enough for me. To be like, I mean, I'm just gonna move around, man. Like, I'm just literally gonna move around, and then I was just happy just to like not get have that happen again. Do you know what I mean? And then kind of like almost regroup, and then think like, hmm, how do, you know, how how do I approach that spot next time? Do you know what I mean? I was like, I need to get through this, and then think about that at home <laughs> next time. This and this is gonna happen because that ain't happening again. Like, um, he he'll hit you with like a technique, and it will just hurt, and it will just keep you thinking about that technique. Do you know what I mean? And you, you're dwelling on it. You just that fucking hurt, man. And then by the time you've got like gusto again, he'll do it again, or he'll switch it. So then he'll take you down. And then so when you expect, or when you finally like, okay, I'm gonna strike now. Then he'll take you down. And he's like, it's super like frustrating. Um, I don't see him getting beaten as long as they match him the way they're matching him at the minute. I think he's fighting Belan next. Yeah, I, I can't see Belal beating him. Ratmanov's got a good chance. Yeah, I think th- he's the guy. He's the guy in the but division. But I still could. think he will struggle with Rocky's physicality because Rocky is massive. Like he's walking around now, like in the low nineties. You know, for welterweight, he's massive. When he first started fighting, they were talking about him going to lightweight. That's how small he was. He was eating M and M's on fight week. Like he was just calm with it. He was never a big weight cutter. But I think over the last ten, like ten years of consistent training, doing his strength conditioning with Johnny, he's obviously. He's been like a student of the game in that regard. Like he's not really had like big gaps off where he's had like a month out of the gym. The longest he'll probably go is a week. And even if it, it's funny, like even if we go to do the corner and that, he's not got a fight coming up. He'll go out on the piss the night before, but then he's like, "Ah, oh, should we go in the gym?" And when you go in the gym with him, it's literally like back and biceps or like you know just doing like bro, like bro training. Like, oh yeah, we'll do some biceps, do some dips, sweet. That's that's all good. Just like weight, old school weights training. So I think. Over the time, he's packed on a lot of size. And when you see him now, like his neck and he, you know, he's tall, he's six foot two, he's got range, you know, he's good physique for welterweight. With like his, um, his natural speed and stuff as well. The, it's all come together with his IQ, you know what I mean? Like, so he thinks really like strategically, but then he's got the attributes to back it up. He's got the speed, he's got the power. It's going to take someone like Ratmanov to try and push him out of his comfort zone. I think that's where you'll see him like maybe like get tested. Well, I think when you watch Rocky's whole career, he's had all the moments anyway. So, like, he's, he's been mounted by Gunnar Nelson. He's been in a tight arm bars by black belts. He's he's had, like, um he's been dropped. I remember that Brian Barberina dropped him with uppercut. And, uh, you know, he's, he's seen, like, adversity in all his fights, but he still managed to come out on top throughout, like, the last, what, seven or eight years. So it's going to take someone that's going to have to take a lot of punishment, that's going to have to, like, put Rocky into a place of, of uncomfortable, you know, territory, 
that's going to be able to get that out of him. But I still think he, we haven't really seen him in them places before. So I still think he's got another two or three gears that we haven't even seen yet. I've not seen Rocky have like toe-to-toe wars. It's not how he fights, but it doesn't mean that he, he couldn't he can't do, it. do it. It doesn't mean that he hasn't got like the uh, mental resilience or the stubbornness. No, it's about stubbornness, isn't it? Of just like everyone that competes, you know, when you're doing jujitsu and that, you get put in a position where you're like, oh, I'm not tapping to this guy. Like, not out of ego, but just like you know that you can get out of it. There's a difference between being fully locked and extending this game over or like in a rear naked choke, you can't escape and go to sleep. And then being in one where you're like, I probably could get out of this. I mean, yeah, it's pretty odd, but like, I could get out of it if I really have to try and exert myself. That's you know it. I mean? Those moments are like a whole other fight in themselves, yeah. aren't they? And everyone gets you've got a there. big spectrum of, you know what I mean, between the choke coming on and you tapping. Yeah. There's a lot that can happen. It's like the other day time. I was rolling. I think I think I was rolling with Wes. And I was like, I was, I was so knackered in that. You just was giving taps up left, right, and you, know, you just can't be arsed. I was like, oh, fuck it. <laughs> I'll just let him pass my guard and that and just chill here. You know what I mean? Whereas like when you're really competing, you've got that mindset, you, you know, that stubbornness. You can get punched and cut up and stuff. When you have the moments, you're like, nah, man, I'm not losing today. Like, and Rocky will probably have almost like, not your life laugh before your eyes, but, you know, all the things that have got him there. You'll have them little thoughts in your head. I'm sure he had that when Dave gave him that little speech. And, you know, that's why he was overcome with emotion after the fight. Because it's like, yeah, you've fucking been through loads, man. Like, you're not just going to give that away. You know, someone's going to have to take that from you. And good luck trying to do that. And they've got to be willing to go into a terrible place to probably get that out of Rocky. You know, because he hit so hard and so sharp, like you can't, you can't like just disregard it. It's not, you know, you can't just take the body kick and then walk through it. It's like, no, it fucking hurt, man. Like, Jesus Christ. Like pain, crippling pain that you're like, okay, I need to take 10 seconds out here and surf the cage. And whilst that's happening, I'm thinking about like, is he going to follow that up? Because Rocky doesn't, you're almost just like, oh my God, he keeps you in that like... State of anticipation. Yeah, and, and that's like fatiguing and mentally taxing. I think Colby... Come round three, we just like, I just want to get through this tonight. Yeah. I want to get paid. And that was kind of my prediction as well. I felt like, because he's had two years out, um, and obviously his run hadn't been fantastic because he'd lost to Usman twice. Do you know what I mean? And you're in there with a guy that slept that guy and then beat him in the, in the rematch after that. So you've got that in your head. And as soon as you start getting hit and stuff, and you've had your jaw broken in the past, I mean, Colby had shown that he's got a dog in him, but then the dog can get beat out of you. So I think after he's had a jaw, like a surgery, and like people don't understand sometimes that like, yeah, he got his jaw broken. He had the fight. It was an amazing fight with Usman. And, you know, you don't see then three months of when he can't eat properly. And then he's thinking, do I want to do that again? Like, it's in the back of your mind. It's in the back it? of your mind. And in your head as well. You're in there already. You're getting paid. I think the fighters get paid when they weigh in. So as long as they fucking weigh in, they don't even have to always fight because there's fights to pull out um, on the day and stuff because of the illness, you'll still get paid. You won't get paid your win money, but you'll get paid your show money. So they're all contracted. So when he's in there and he's like, I'm not getting paid no extra to get my jaw broken. I'm not getting paid no extra to get an orbital broken or a nose broken. And if you think I can just skate through it, then you would, especially when you're 36, 37, you're probably thinking about your life outside of the cage as well. Like, you know, do I need to be doing this? When a guy's 25 and he needs it, oh, it's the hunger, isn't it? It's like, you need it. You haven't really got a choice. And it's like, if you've never had those jaw surgeries and stuff like that, then you're willing to go for it because you don't really know about that. It's not until you're having them that you think, well, is this all worth it? That's why you rate guys like, you know, Cub Swanson? Have you ever heard about his story? No, no. He's broke his jaw like, like more than everything. once, hasn't he? Yeah, more yeah. than once. He's had an orbital break. 
He's broken his hands multiple times. And that's a guy when how's he still playing, man? Like, like what keeps that guy getting getting in the cage? And he's not even ever been a champion, likely to ever be a champion. Like, I think he gets paid pretty well, but in my head, it's like I'm sure he's banked enough money to not have yeah. to do it anymore. Yeah, yeah. He obviously wants to do it, like he's got the drive in him at whatever age he's at. And that's a guy that you know he's built different to me. Cause I know when I finally retired from competing, I was thinking about those types of things like long-term health. And things that I'm not thinking about when I'm 19, 20, 21, when I'm having a hard fight. Whereas when I'm 28, 29, I'm thinking, fucking hell, like, I've still got a lot of years of life left to live and stuff like that. Do you know what I mean? I'm thinking about fucking hell, I might get dementia. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah, yeah. mad thoughts that you have. You start thinking forward to the future. Forwards a lot, a lot more as well. And realizing that you haven't got as much time either. So if fucked up stuff happens, it's not like the same thing of when you're 19, you can just start again. Do you know what I mean? It's like when you're. When you're 18 or 19 or 20, you can afford to make a lot of mistakes because those mistakes, unless you fucking murder someone or do something just absolutely crazy, it's like um, not going to affect you that much. You can rebuild. Someone described it to me, or I heard it somewhere, it's like a tree. So it's like the decisions that you make early, they do impact like what happens later on. But like the trunk is the trunk, do you know what I mean? Whereas like the longer you go on and the more you're on the branches, those decisions won't change this trunk as much. Do you know what I mean? So it's like them. That's a really good way of putting it. I can't. I'm, I'm just butchering the shit out. No, of that, no, no. That I makes mean? a lot of sense. But it's like 18 to 22. It's like the branches you can afford to chop them off. You know what I mean? You're going to grow new ones. It's going to be fine as long as it's not damaging the trunk. You do the murder. You do the. I don't know. I'm going to get. I'm going to do heroin for 10 years. <laughs> yeah. you know I mean? I mean, that's going <laughs> to fuck your trunk up, man. But like, as long as you know that your branch decisions aren't going to really affect the trunk, you know what I mean? But so then the older you get, the less that they affect that. Do you, do you, do you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah, you've got that foundation, you know what I mean? You've got yeah. so much of life behind you. And then that can go the opposite way as well. So like, like does Colby losing, like going back to that, I don't know how, doesn't really affect that. He's already done it. He's got the money. Yeah. He's got the bank. His career is stacked. He's his, he's his name. He's made it. So winning the title, does it actually even affect this that much? Whereas Rocky winning the title at his point in his career still affects the trunk a lot because he wasn't a, he wasn't a name, he wasn't like making big money, you know what I mean? He wasn't like even though he had a big win streak. I mean, fucking hell, how many fights have to win that many fights to get a title shot? Whereas winning the title now, he's a multi-millionaire, so it's like I I saw the difference between him winning the title and him not having one. Some fighters like Paddy Pimlet don't probably need a title. Like the title is going to be like like Sean O'Malley, like a super cherry on it, but he's already good. He was already making good he's money. Already he's already very it, man. popular. He's already, well yeah, known. he's popular, and it's like he he's got other options, man. He could probably do a movie. He could probably do all these other things. But no one's even rocking movie role. People sometimes, well, they forget. Like when we was at the Diaz fight, I, I wouldn't give away his purse because I don't think that's fair. But like that was like a main event fight, but it wasn't like it wasn't getting the fandom. Like yeah, I remember going to a Walmart and one guy. He was the guy from behind like the meat checkout. And he Oh, Leon Edwards, man. He's like, can I get a picture of you? And I was like, oh, wow, that's really cool, man. A guy in America who knows Rocky, he's a fan. That's fucking cool. That was, you know, before this belt. Then after the title, we was in Milan for, for a Tim and Fabian's fight. Uh, Fabian fought, I think it was Charlie Ward, and I think Tim fought Saul Rogers. We go out for a meal in Milan, and it's like he's getting flocked. Like, literally, <laughs> yeah. you can't finish a meal. And we're yeah, Italy. really flocked. Well, I'm saying yeah. It was embarrassing. Like it was like, fuck no, I want to eat my food here. And obviously, me, <laughs> Rocky ain't taking a fucking picture, is he? So he's like, me or the other guy, the yeah, guy yeah. no one gives a shit about. You guys are hard done by. Rocky's there with all the fandom. You when, just want to have a meal. Literally, and when we felt really hard done by, Rocky as well. I give him the credit, man. He's a 
proper like patient guy, man. When it comes to that, he gives everyone the time. Like who is in Dublin for Fabian's world title fight? Rocky's having to go. That's my brother, by the way. He's fighting for a world title. And then they're like, ah, oh, can I get a picture of you as well? But that's how much the difference the belt made for him. Like he went from literally being like a guy that some people knew if they were into MMA to being like a household guy. Like people that really weren't even following the sport anymore. Like, I want an Instagram picture with this guy because he's going to blow up my page for a day and people are going to give me attention. And other people though, Sean O'Malley, he wouldn't need a title. Or I don't think Paddy Pimlet, he ain't got a title, but everyone already wants a picture with him. Yeah. You know what I mean? So that's his, in the, the moments, that trunk is like, Different in it, you know what I mean? Like Paddy, he, it's like he he'd have to be more worried about saying something controversial and getting cancelled for all his podcasts yeah. and shit like that yeah, yeah. than losing a UFC fight. I don't think that's going to damage his stock as much as that. Whereas Rocky, at his point in time, losing a fucking fight was like well, I say massively detrimental. That's all I've got now. He was at the point where he's like, all I've got is a fucking win streak, man. Like I literally don't have anything. I'm not got big fan exposure. No one's like championing me to be the next title contender. Well, that's it. It was. <sighs> I don't want to say the UFC didn't want him to be champion. I don't think it's that. But they weren't, you know what I mean, like pushing him in the same way they were pushing a, a Sean O'Malley yeah. um, kind of character. So it really was all on the merit of his win streak. Everything. And yeah. that to me is like, okay, now as a trainer, to go on another tangent, as a coach now, I, I look at things like, if I was using Rocky's brain as like a manager, as a risk averse, when I look at a fighter, I think, okay, I don't want to be a hater and say you can't be UFC champion. Like that can be possible, but it's fucking really hard, man. Like, yeah, it's like especially now, man. Percentages are like, especially like, let's say you're a you're a bantamweight or you're a fucking lightweight. Fuck me, good luck with that. Do you know what I mean? That's like, you might win tomorrow, you might lose. Do you know what I mean? Like the next week, you could be champion one week and lose it the next. because The fighters are so good coming through. You know what I mean? And is like a guy like Islam so special? But when you look at like the twenty, the top twenty in the UFC at lightweight, it's fucking a minefield. Good luck winning five in a row in that division. And then. Uh, so you think then, okay, so if we're going to like have sh- sh- like a strategic outlook of your life now as someone that might not come from the, the like the deprived place that Rocky came from where he didn't really have any eruption, like he had to kind of just go all in there. So like strategically now, let's try and like make you a profile and build up your popularity. So then winning fights isn't just as important. And then after you can still try and win fights. And then maybe even if we can not be in the UFC, can we can go to Bellator and probably still get paid probably even get paid more money unless you're a champion. You know, UFC will always pay more to champions than a Bellator or a PFL. But for the outside of the champions, the, the mid-tier fighters are getting paid more in the other promotions. Um, like, I don't think Tim Wilde would get paid what he's getting paid in the UFC as what he's yeah. getting paid in Bellator and that. So then you look at that as a career path to put someone on. You probably want to go that way because it's, it's like hedging your bets, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's like, okay... We and then could you could always move to the UFC. You and know that's I mean? not out, out of the question. Yeah. So it's like, you, you kill know, it in Bellator, you win the world title there. And then that's it. And then I'll see percentage-wise, yeah, it's going to be hard to do, but I feel like it's a safer way. And then how can we also, without going to the UFC, and maybe getting paid like 12 and 12 to start off with and having to fight like absolute fucking killers, maybe we go over the other ear and get paid 12 and 12 or even 10 and 10 and fight someone that's a little bit shit. Because, like, no offence to like, Michael Benapage, but some of the guys that he fought Bellator weren't fantastic fighters. Yeah. They clearly weren't in his level. So he's made bank off of fighting lesser skilled people with um, no damage. So when he comes out at the other end of his career, that's what we always got to look at. When he's 40 and he's all done, and he's got potentially, with modern medicine, another 40 to 60 years to live, 
Well, that's a lot more than what you've done in fighting. So you need to be healthy, man. You need to like be all slurring speech and all sorts of stuff like that. So you've got to try and like get through that minefield with as much options as possible. Like, can you save money? Maybe invest in some property or maybe you do some podcasting and maybe you get some brand deals and maybe you'd be more of that guy. You know what I mean? Let's work with what you got. You're good looking. <laughs> like Sage Northcutt or someone. Or Paige Van Zandt, okay? Maybe, I'm not going to recommend OnlyFans, but like, you know, yeah, let's yeah. look at some other options, eh? <laughs> You know what I mean? Like that, I think that's where fighters sometimes have to think about like the the whole picture of fighting rather than just the fighting side of it. And that's so hard, isn't it? Because in their minds, all they're focused on is, you know what I mean? You've got that, talk about that summit, that pinnacle, you're looking at that UFC title and that's kind of all they're thinking about, isn't it? It's like yeah. I just want to be the best in the world. The best in the world. And, you know, I mean, saying that now, there's the other side of it where because it is like a viable career path. Like when I first started it in these leisure centers and that, like I'd say that like, I'm going to be the PD champion you know I mean? yeah. <laughs> and win 6,000 pounds. You know what I mean? And it's like, the fuck you did that for? <laughs> it's like now, obviously you can actually say to your dad, like, dad, I want to do this. Your dad will probably go, that's probably a good idea. Actually, you might actually make loads of money. So it's that side of it where like guys can almost go too influencery too soon as well. Mm. And then yeah. not put in the time on the mat. So it's like, you got to, Going back to the trunk energy, it's like your trunk is the mat time, man. That's the most important bit. So getting in the fucking gym six days a week, doing your due diligence on the mat. And then these other ones are just things that we add to it. So it's like, don't not do them. Because then you just took putting all your eggs in this one thing that might not fucking work out because we don't know how the fight world's going to pan out. You might blow your knee. You just don't know, do you? Yeah. So then that would be like, for me, like what I did. I'm trying to fight now at the start, but I'm still going to go to uni. I'm still going to or have this job and work this job. Do you know what I mean? And that's just going to be the side thing until I can make it the whole thing, until that's viable. And then whilst I'm doing that, then I'm still going to try and do a bit of social media, but I'm not going to do more social media than training. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, not, yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Unless you are like a... But then maybe that's the other thing. If you're so good at social media than you are at this, just do that. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't even fight mm-hmm. and take the fucking damage. <laughs> like, fuck that. It's, you're getting fucked up. Do you know what I mean? Just do the... the do jujitsu, man, without the injuries and the tape. You know what I mean? With all the tape fingers and stuff. Don't get hit in the head. I would not recommend. You know what I mean? That's for, it's a, such a hard thing to navigate. And I see the older I've got, the more I've appreciated that aspect of it, of like, okay, there's bad repercussions to fighting and stuff. And you can die at the end of the day. Like, yeah. you know, people can fucking die. That's, it's different to playing football, you know, playing cricket or another sport like that. The ramifications can be so serious yeah. with a head trauma, especially that, from my point of view, that, that was that was kind of one of my, my reasons for deciding that I wanted to go all into grappling because I was never really, you know, talented fighting. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, I, I wasn't sure that I wanted to fight. Jimmy said, oh, I think you should have one. You know, just <laughs> yeah, see yeah. Jimmy, how it was. And, and anyway, <laughs> I was like, I, I just, I never, you know what I mean? I just wanted to the, train to train yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. gain the skills. Whereas I looked at grappling and I thought, I think I could actually make something this somewhere yeah, on yeah, the line yeah. and I'm not taking the head trauma along with it. So it's important, you know, you, you can get caught up in the, the ideal of, oh, yeah, I want to be on top of the world. The romance of it, isn't Yeah, it? exactly. Yeah, but yeah. between, you know what I mean, the romance of the yeah, end goal yeah, coming yeah. to fruition and everything in between, say you even get there, there, there's a lot of blood and guts and you've got to decide. Yeah, 100%. To me, how realistic, how realistic is that summit for me? And what am I going to have to sacrifice to get there? And that's going to be different for every kind of person. Yeah. So like you wouldn't, going back to Leon, you wouldn't put that cap on Leon. Like if Leon came to you 10 years ago and said, oh, I want to be UFC world champion. And you looked at how he sparred, you looked at how he was doing. To him, you probably wouldn't say, oh, I think you should focus a lot more on social media and that kind of stuff. Because 
that's not Leon. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's not something he's naturally talented at. Whereas you look at him fighting, and you're like, yeah, this is that's very you. viable for it. Yeah, that's, that's very hat. viable. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you keep that hat on. <laughs> the other funny thing is as well, like, I'm, I'm pretty sure Leon, like, he's never had a job. He's never had yeah. a normal job. Has he not? He's literally, like, gone from just being a fucking hood rat. You know, his mum's took him to that gym and gone, do this. And then he just stuck at that. And then obviously the other thing is where Leon's probably, you know, probably does think about the UTC was brilliant at giving fighters a proper avenue. Because I don't know if you've ever went to that facility or seen it. it was no, like no, I never made it there. I remember mate, you know I mean? looking at it on my phone <laughs> when I was in like year nine. I was like 13 years old. Oh, Really want to go there, but I was too young, you know what I mean? Yeah, my, mom yeah. Was, my mom wasn't letting me go to the local kickboxing gym, yeah, that alone yeah. taking me to UTC in Birmingham. Like that, they, when it comes to like business marketing, I know the guy that um, I actually work at a gym that he co owns, he owns a share in it. It's called Gym Unity in Tamworth. It's like a weights gym, but they've got a bit of a matted area, basically old stuff from UTC. But they created like a yeah, just a vibe of like this is the place to be, do you know what I mean? It was cool. He went in there like. They had the protein bar, the smoothie bar. They had like, you know, they knew what they're doing. They, they employed the yeah. pretty women behind the counter. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? To sell you the merch and sell you the fucking energy drink that you want before you go and do your class. And then they had all the like the facility and even to, to like the small details, like the lighting, just it just looked cool. And the yeah, windows it, it, it around looked it amazing. Like, even on the, the, like, the website, and, it, and like, that this looks cool. Gave people like like Leon like. This isn't just a fantasy. It's not like Conor, if Conor McGregor, to give him credit, you know, he's in a fucking shed in Ireland. Yeah. No, it's good luck selling that dream to, to his parents. You know, John Kavanagh, like, yeah, you might be here one day. <laughs> just like, fucking hell. Whereas that was actually like, no, like, this is a fucking, like, you know, not a million pound facility, but it's a very high, high-end facility. It looks you know, like a proper business. looks like a business. It's clean cut, but they had uniforms and kit. And then when they started fighting on the shows, like, Rocky got onto Bama, and that was through, like, a... The, uh, the guys at UTC that had the connections there. And they sold, I think, anything from three to 500 tickets for one of the fighters. So obviously for Bama, they were like, fucking hell, that's taking care of a load of our problems. Because obviously the promoters are always trying to cut their overheads, aren't they? Like, they're trying to think, well, it's going to cost me. I think people don't realise sometimes it costs the promoter money to put the fucking show on. So he's already got to spend money before he gets anything back. So for them, it's a risk business. It's like, fucking hell, I'm shit myself here. So so a lot of money up front. Up front. And, you know, I mean, the return exactly. is very much and up in the air. Especially when you think, like, the fight is going to pull out. Or, you know, is my main event just going to fucking fall on its arse? And then I'm in trouble now. I'm actually owed money. So when a guy can come, to, like, like the gym, the UTC, could provide this and go, we'll sell 500 tickets. They're fucking happy fighters on. And then they're providing the fighters with a platform. And they're more likely to match them with better fights. Yeah. Not fucking throw them into the lion's den. Cause like, oh, we're gonna keep this kid around because he's selling tickets at the fucking least. And then I'll see if he's got out to talent like Rocky. You know, just fucking throw a punch and a kick. Well, then you're winning, aren't you? So UTC gave them like a, a legitimate path. It gave them the training facility, like you know, top of the range strength stuff for the time, like strength conditioning. Even though the coaches weren't maybe the best at the time, you know, Dave Pavel managed to cut his teeth through the UTC. Like he was a boxing coach. He didn't know anything about mixed martial arts. But him, I think I remember back in the day sparring there and he looked at me and he fucking hated me because he was like, Where's his jab? Do you know what I mean? I was just fire boxing, <laughs> kicking and kneeing and shit, and like probably like going into ranges that day was like, it's fucking heaven forbid, you know what I mean? He's <laughs> like, what's the word blasphemy? You know what I mean? And obviously his son was a really good boxer at the time. And he was almost thinking, like in his head, he's just like, What is this all this Thai stuff? You know, it's from Thailand in Asia, you know, he's old school 
brain. It was like watching that old school boxer that McGregor brought in, uh, yeah. brought in when <laughs> yeah. he was fighting Boye. And I remember we was watching an interview with him and like you could tell he just thought kicking was nonsense. Just, yeah. <laughs> what? You know what I mean? Like, gets his car kicked off by uh, It's That's how far the sport's come along. And I see UTC was just cutting edge at the time. And it, so it gave, it was the right recipe. For, they had obviously the, the uh, genetic pool of Erdington, which is like a very multicultural, diverse area. So you've got like Polish guys, you know, tough, hard as now Polish guys coming in. Then you've got guys from like the Caribbean, like, fast twitch muscle guys then you've got like your working class boys from fucking the local you know like white british classic meat and potatoes guys council estate yeah but guy. that might be good at wrestling and yeah. guys or, or good boxing so you had a good mix of people that and the mixing pot that created guys you know like rocky that were able to come through gave them a, a proper avenue i think the business model that they had though kind of ran its course and they, they made a few errors i would say because i worked there for six months they made a few errors towards the end and also if you because this is the other sad thing about it because they were um doing it like so early like Vaughan Lee was almost like not lamb to the slaughter but he was like the poster boy though wasn't he he was the poster boy but like he was fighting TJ I I was there for the camp when he fought TJ Dillashaw and in hindsight like I don't know what TJ Dillashaw was doing in America back then but I know America had a much more systemized approach to doing things Whereas they definitely didn't have that at UTC at the time. So as much as they had all the glitz and the glam, they didn't have necessarily the, that tree trunk, yeah. that foundation. So Vaughan was, as much as he was like in the UFC, he was almost the, still the head coach and still doing this. So it's like he didn't have the, the guys around him to, to like give him probably the best opportunity. And then because he was the, the, like the token UK guy, they fed into like Asun Sound, Dillashaw. He fought fucking Yuri Alcantara. He fought... Um, who was the other kid? Chris Carriasso. He fought all these like guys that went on to be contenders and champions, like in his run. So it was a shark tank for him. Like his biggest win was Kid Yamamoto in Japan. But you can't tell me that when they sent Vaughn Lee over to Japan to fight yeah. Kid Yamamoto, that he was supposed to win that <laughs> yeah. fight by armbar. So that was very much it. And obviously, Vaughn paved the way for Rocky in that sense because he established the connections with the UFC for UTC and those people. And, you know, he did pave away in many ways. So it's like the, the history of this martial arts is interesting and it, certain things couldn't happen without it. Do you know what I mean? But then there were certain still mistakes that happened that probably, you know, prevented other people from doing things. You know what I mean? And like, I, I don't think Vaughan had the best chance of, of doing well. But at the same time, without UDC, he would never got there. So it's like, what do you do? Do you rather get there and maybe not maybe reach the heart you could have or not get there at all? It's sometimes what you've yeah. got away up in mm-hmm. it in hindsight. And Vaughan's doing well himself now. I know he's still coaching and stuff like that. But it's a, you know, you realise that to, to for Rocky, you know what I mean? For Rocky to be Rocky, so many fucking things over the last, like, 12 years had to, like, come together. Yeah. You know what I mean? There is an element of luck, ultimately. You know what I mean? That? Like, uh, the right <clears throat> circumstances. Because I don't know if Rocky would be Rocky UFC champion if it was if he was from Wigan in like i don't know wigan's rugby club martial arts gym i just don't know yeah, you know yeah, what i mean yeah he was at the best martial arts gym in the uk at the time and even now i'd say mma like you guys at hardy wallhead for example are like a new era of a proper mixed martial arts gym where you can actually do everything from the one roof because even to this day like rocky outsources coaching like he goes to canby for wrestling he goes to uh, henry for striking so it's not like it renegades still does completely everything at the highest level under one roof. They get in there, but they're still kind of cutting their teeth. You know what I mean? Like the amateur guys aren't 
haven't got the funds to go I want a one to one every day. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. There's still this class structure that I still think everyone's figuring out. I don't think there's any gym in the UK that's got like the hundred percent formula to go like this is how you do MMA. Like you do Taekwondo this day, you do box. Everyone's still kind of going like that's it. It's it's getting there. The st- the system's being established, but it's not yeah, established. It's not there yet. yet. It's, it's not, not like no one's say we've written the book now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like that's what Mark says, for example, going to this uh UFC PI in Shanghai. That's the first thing he said to me that really just struck a chord with me. He, his first day there, he messaged me he's like, mate, he, he was like, I don't feel like I should be here. And, that. and bear in mind, Mark's fucking class. You know, he's a world-class coach. He's like, like bias aside that he's my friend. When it comes to like passion, enthusiasm, and actually like studying of the sport, that's, you know, the, the guy. He'll put in his time. You know what I mean? He's not just turning up like without, you know, try, winging it. He'll go home and he'll write notes and he'll think about everything like properly. Whereas he's gone there and he's like, mate, this is literally like Real Madrid. It's like it's the yeah. Real Madrid. And he was like, and funnily enough, like the Shanghai Performance Institute, their first rodeo at the, the UFC Contender Series, they went one win, five losses, which was a bit like, fuck's sake, you know what I mean? Because they've got like doctors of nutrition. They've got like in the middle of a class, they'll wheel on a fucking TV and pause a fight scenario. And go, this is what we're doing now. This is this play. Like NFL style, yeah, you know what yeah. I mean? And that's obviously the American way of doing it. It comes down to analytics and numbers. You like, how many jabs did he land? Yeah, you make it a science. How many jabs is he landing around? Like, how many takedowns from this position is he getting outside double legs? You know what I mean? And it's all becomes statistics then, and then you can kind of like fine tune it and gear people. But even then, they're like Mark was telling me, they're still figuring certain things out. It's like me going over there. I think one of my roles is going to be to um, help coaches coach rather than even coaching fighters. It's going to be showing like some Chinese guys like you should hold the pads like this or do it like this and this is why you know what I mean because I think everyone on a global scale is still figuring that out like what why are we doing that rather than just like uh, hitting pads about no rhyme or reason just to get you tired combinations you know what I mean well why are we doing a combination why are you doing that now why is he going to switch into southpaw rather than just switching southpaw for the sake of it do you know what I mean so you're kind of almost going to be like a, a professor kind of to try and help that, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Which is mad because I'm a professor, mate. You know what I mean? Oh, mate, you definitely are. I don't. Man. That's the funny are. thing, though. Like me and Joe and Mark, all the same thing. We think, what the hell, man? Joey says the same thing, like far, far too, far too modest. You think about it, and you think that's all. Right. It's like that Bruce Buffer incident, man. When I sat there, he grabbed my leg, and Rocky's getting Rocky's getting chinned, and I'm looking at Bruce Buffer. And I'm like, Bruce Buffer's like holding on to yeah. you for support as like an anchor. Literally, mate. Thing. Like, oh, I, I can't handle <laughs> Tell this. Tell me it's moment. gonna be okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm like, I don't know, Bruce. It's fucking wild, man. He'll probably he'll never even remember that. You know what I mean? But that's the other beautiful thing. I think sometimes you break it all down. They're the most valuable things, aren't they? Like having the moments like that. You know, when you just like you can't put price on stuff like that. You know, Bruce will never remember it, but for me, that was a big thing. Yeah. And I'm glad that he did do that. You know what I mean? I'm glad that he was as nice a person as he used to. So that's one thing as well, going back to what you said about Joe and Mark being like humble and stuff. The number one thing I would hope to carry for everything is like uh, never trying to think I was too good to help someone or think I was too good to, you know what I mean? Like show someone that I'm too know, good for people. To, yeah, yeah. You could, yeah. It's important, like I'm wasting man. my time showing this. Yeah, exactly. This technique. There's a, there's a, there is like, a, it's funny that there is like a line to that. So I have yeah. had guys with like, I always go back to the tracky bottoms, man. I have a guy come up to me with tracky bottoms. I had a guy not long ago, man, and he, bless him, and that he come in and he's a, a mind coach. Basically, I felt like he was using me to try and get in with fighters to be a mind coach. 
and he's a nice guy and I think he's, he, he's good at what he does, but he doesn't really know about combat sports. And he came out with theories that are just, <laughs> like the one example was that he looked at me, bear in mind, we're doing like a one-two on the pads and like he's, he's not doing it very well. It's a bit clunky now. He's hurting my arms a bit. And I'm like, yeah. And then he goes, he goes, what would you do if you had a man and he just never went backwards and all you did was go forwards? <laughs> and I went, what? And he was like, he'd be unbeatable. Nobody could stop him. And I just went like, yeah, <laughs> patting him on the back and was like, giving you philosophy in the middle of a pad session. Let, let, let's just do the one two, mate. And then uh, I, I think a few days later, he texted me and that, and I just, I didn't book him in, bless him. I thought, I can't deal with that today. Yeah. Like, uh, not that I'm above him, but I was like, I'm just not in the, in the place for that type of conversation. And to, yeah. like, I guess you do it as well as a, as a PT. Sometimes you have to humor conversation that you're like, it's just part of the job, isn't it? You have yeah, to be yeah. a good talker. You have to make people feel at ease. Some people come to you as well. Part of it, yeah, they want to get a physical workout in, but some of them just kind of not want mental therapy. That's kind of signing yourself a, a, a role that's the... not yours. But some people just want to get stuff off their yeah, chest. Just kind of, they want relief from the missus or kids or but That's you know, what it's good you said. Like, uh, I don't want to assign myself that because there's it's a dangerous thing where there's people out there Listen, you know, your PT's telling you, yeah, leave your wife, mate. Yeah, She's yeah, yeah. crap. Yeah. <laughs> you know, need to go forwards. Yeah. Go back. <laughs> you need to go forwards, man. <laughs> you fucking quit that job and you do it. You can chase that dream. The next thing you know, the guy's fucking like, messing you two months later, like, bro, I got no money. Yeah. This is left me. You could, be, you could be UFC <laughs> champion. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah you your job. How many yeah. people do you get uh, say that to you? Ah, uh, no, to be fair, like, that's. I don't get stuff like that because the people that usually will say insane stuff are actually mentally yeah. unhinged. Like, the gym I'm at now, because it's a public gym, like there'll be people, like classic example the other week, bearing in mind, it's a, like, I always text Fabian or something, if I see a particular one, I'll be like, I've got a sparring partner for you, and I'll just send him a little video of the guy. So there's a guy, and he, um, he tied a, a pad to the corner post of the ring, and I can see him, and he's looking at me, and he's looking at, he's making sure that I know what he's doing, you know what I mean? He's doing spin kicks on it and that. And then I was, I was like, I'm, gonna, I'm not even going to use the ring today, but I don't need it. He can have that ring, that's it. Then he comes over to to make sure I'll go like, I'm all right to use the ring, yeah? Yeah, 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 you carry on. You do your thing. Then he's like putting, um, you know, like hand wraps across the ropes and he's doing all these bits and pieces. Then he got to a point where he, well, I can't remember what he says to me, but along the lines of, like, look at what I can do now. Imagine what I could do with a coach. And I was just like, <laughs> yeah, like, you carry on, mate. <laughs> I'm not even segueing into the uh, how much is a PT conversation with you because you are not the full shilling. Yeah. <laughs> I think yeah, if yeah. I was to teach you anything, yeah. it would be dangerous. It's like a danger to the public. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you just, you don't need to know anything. It's, it's like Jordan Peterson says, become a monster and learn how to control it. I don't want to make you a monster because I'm not sure you're able yeah, to you handle that. you control power. Was it Uncle Ben? Great power, great responsibility. Yeah. You have no responsibility there. I cannot trust you. One of my old bosses used to say his lines to me all the time. He used to go, I wouldn't trust you with my, with my pet budgie. And they haven't got one. He'd say that to me all the time. And, you know, in the building site back in the day, and I'd just look at him and think, you wanker. Yeah, don't feel about that big. But there's genuinely people out there that unfortunately are not like mentally strong enough to do martial arts and be in that environment. You know, there was a guy, um, I don't know if you uh, saw him, an amateur fighter, and he fought a guy from Hardy Wallhead, Tom, and he got knocked out with the punch. Oh, um, I can't remember his name now, but I've sparred with him. Mr. Fantastic, his, like, his Instagram name is Mr. Fantastic. Yes, and he is Jerome. like, Jerome. he is a lovely kid, like really, really nice guy. But I think basically from my gatherings that like, he's not 
the most mentally like stable person they put it so yeah. they've had to like navigate yeah. him and like maybe competition isn't for him purely because like the mental stress of like of it all and the repercussions of like obviously he clowned around a bit i'm, I'm sure he pushed he might have pushed someone at the way and stuff like that yeah well he was, he was just kind of giving a lot of trash talk creating yeah. a lot of animosity out of basically nothing and it, yeah and he was you know things he was saying on instagram you looked at him you're like okay yeah you clearly there's something going on behind the yeah. scenes. And you're he's not just like, getting hyped for a fight. Yeah, there's there's yeah. something unstable. And the other worrying thing about him is oh, I sparred that kid and he's good. Like, yeah, like yeah that's what he is good. Worryingly yeah. good. Like it's, I remember seeing him and I was just like, he's like a Rocky genetics, that pool, whatever that yeah. gene pool is, he got it. You know what yeah, I mean? It's yeah. like, but I, that's the difference with Rocky was Rocky's really good up here. Not just like he's in strong and he's like he's. He's quite normal, like he thinks. He seems like a very steady going, person. Quite steady Eddie. And then there's other people that stress and stuff isn't great for them. And like martial arts is fucking stressful. It's like the most stressful thing yeah. that you'll do. I remember the, going back on another tangent. I remember uh, the ultimate fight, like way back and way back. And this guy came out with a skin rash, this terrible skin rash. And then he got called to the medical room and they weren't sure if it was contagious and stuff like that. And then the medical staff say like, oh, it's like these hives or something. But um, it's caused by stress. And then the Dana White comes in and he goes, Bro, he goes, It's caused by stress. And you're doing the most stressful job in the fucking world. <laughs> yeah. He's like, like, This obviously isn't going to work, is it? <laughs> like, I can got, imagine him saying, You've that. got a condition <laughs> caused by stress. And you're literally doing the most stressful thing a human can do. And that is the, the fine line with things sometimes is like, because it is inherently so stressful, because it is an individual sport once you're in there, and like you essentially take all of the negatives as much as you take all the positives you always take the negatives for some people that's not good you know what i mean it's like competition and for that person it is either going to yeah. make or break you isn't it it's either going to yeah, help yeah. you build stronger because build a stronger mentality or yeah it's just going to yeah. completely break you down and make you that was an example another thing where i'm learning as well of, of like and i think jamie because they're wicked at its first legion gym like yeah. jamie old guy charlie O'Neill, they're like the fucking salt of the earth people they're so nice and that and i think they've really like taking care of him and they've realized that he needs the gym i don't know if he's still training to be fair so like, they don't they want to like ostracize him and say you can't be in the gym they but it's like you maybe can't compete yeah and sometimes that can come down to tactics and i've done it in the past I've, like going back to another story like back in the past we had this guy come to the gym with his kid and he was a, a bit of a delusional one he was an older guy he was like 38 39 and he wants to start competing right and i'm like Okay, I don't want to put limitations on you. Yeah. Okay, I'm not here to do that, but it's a bit quite late in the day, do you know what I mean? And then he was not only like a bit delusional, but he was shit. And like I was like, oh. so what we did was we just like, oh fucking how can we was like shut him up, mate? He keeps asking us and asking us when can I do the next like amateur fight show. And then I go to him, right, if you do this for a few I said if you train like five times a week, I think for eight weeks, we'll put him on this event, thinking he would never do it. And he fucking did it. <laughs> Like literally, so we were like, Jesus Christ! Like he's fucking doing it. We you can't deny these people. You can't, you deny, can't deny those people. <laughs> and so you put him in this fight, and he got fucking stitched as well. It was one of these amateur fights where, like, they kind of wing it on the day, where like they're just matching people up by weights on on the day and a bit of experience. And then he ended up having to have a switch around with the match, and he fought someone that had like two fights, but like a twenty-two year old who's clearly like wanted to do it properly. Yeah. And it's not the white collar thing where it's we're all agreeing that we're hobbyists because there was that didn't exist then. It was like this is an amateur. So there's unfortunately guys that might just want to try it, whilst there's also guys that want to think about being UFC champion. So he fights his kid, and it was like the first 20 seconds now, the kid just like throws like a one, two, three, like da da da, like screams with every punch. And then the guy looks at us, he took an eight count, like the referee jumps in because he didn't take it very well. 
he looked at us and just shook his head at me and Asia were like, oh my God. And obviously like, we took him out. Like He got stuck pretty quick. Fortunately, because it was amateur, the ref was good and he recognised that we didn't need to see him get knocked out. Yeah, he we'll didn't just, take We'll just stop damage. it here. Yeah, and then and that was it for him. That was his story. And I think that was actually semi-successful in the fact that he got the reality check of like, oh yeah, probably not a good idea if you just start combat sports as a competitor at 39. You know, like, that's probably not your path and you thought it was, but it's not. But then there's other people where, like, that could really send them the other way, where it's like they're in a depression now all of a sudden. Yeah. And they're like, their mental health coming into play. And that's where, like, being a coach, even like a personal trainer, you, you're dealing with someone on a basis where they're doing something that for them is so important. And it becomes so much a part of their identity that you're, like, skating them lines where you're, like, you are like a therapist. And then you have to kind of be aware of that. Yeah, you can't tell it's a lot of responsibility. It is a responsible job. Yeah, you know people's I mean? like, physical health, their physical safety. Yeah. Like I said, it has ramifications beyond the physical, the way it's going to affect them mentally, spiritually, if you want to call it that, but emotionally, uh, definitely. It, it can be a very serious thing. So it's, like you said, skating that line, towing that line. Towing the line, man, and just yeah. being like, I need to, especially when I was coaching at like 22, you know, like, and I, was, I think I did yeah, quite so yeah, a good yeah, job, yeah. do you know what I mean? You, you started coaching very early on, didn't you? Yeah, so like now I'm 33, but then I look back at some of the, like that decision for me and Adrian to put that guy in there, now he's like an older man with a bit more like, you know, like you're not doing that. Yeah, a like, bit more authority. Authority, whereas I felt like at 22, how can I speak to a 39 year old and tell him, like, no, yeah. not allowed. You're not allowed to. <laughs> yeah, you're not allowed to. Yeah. <laughs> so we were like, that was a dangerous thing really, where it's like, yeah, I was a young man, and I wasn't, in, I didn't feel like I had the, the, uh, the experience to be, or like the authority to be telling someone what they could and couldn't do. Whereas you, you do need, especially mixed martial arts gyms, you need your jimmies, like your, your adults in the room. You know what I mean? The authoritative uh, figure. Yeah, that can yeah. pull off someone with going too hard, inspiring, like, and go, no, that's fucking not allowed. Like, rather than being like, mm, uh, do I intervene here? Yeah. He's getting a bit beaten up. Maybe I should say something. You give, you give them kind of like a half hour. Oh, calm down a bit. Yeah, calm literally. Bit. And you know where I saw that the most, which is fucking crazy. That was Tiger Muay Thai. I was there last January, and the fucking sparring there was like out of this world because there's all these like meathead Russian guys, like juice to the gills and stuff. They're like intimidating figures. And I looked at the one coach, and he was literally that guy. He was like, he's getting punched, and the guy's screaming, and he's he's in full mount. He's flattened him out, and He's not really responding. Is this too much? And I was thinking, mate, fucking step in, man. That's so, that's so interesting you up. say that because I had, uh, you know, Chris Radcliffe, um, yeah, one yeah, of the fighters yeah. at the gym, had him on uh, a couple of weeks ago and he did uh, a lot of time at Tiger Muay Thai like back in the day, like 10 years ago. And that's he, when it was good. Yeah, you know, that's, that's, <laughs> yeah. okay. That's what I was going to say or imply. Yeah. Like, obviously, something's changed because he was saying back in the day how yeah, yeah. organised everything was, how good the trainers were, making sure the yeah. sparring was uh, correct and a very authoritative. But yeah, I guess something changed. Basically, <laughs> uh, the Hickman brothers, um, I can't remember who the other coach was, and then even the strength and conditioning guy, I think his name's Woody, they've all opened Bangtown now. So they were like, that they were like the adults in the room and they're the authority figures and they've moved an open bank out which is so like the new kind place. of taken tiger muay thai yeah. under a different name so tiger's still got like the name and it's still like don't get me wrong like there's still good training to be had in there but i definitely wouldn't send like i wouldn't send wes in there on his own yeah. i think like you need to be established if you're established you can go in there hold your own you've got bodies you know what i mean you're probably not going to learn any new techniques you've got some fantastic bodies in there from all over the world guys as well that if you want you know like Sometimes a guy needs, you know, in, in, especially in this type of sport, you sometimes to spar someone and not think about their feelings. 
Like, yeah, yeah, take the human out of it. That's the place, you know what I mean? Sometimes you go there, and I, I went to Holland back in the day, and that's what that was, man. That was just like, I went to Mike's gym, and that was like hell on earth in terms of that. It was insane. Like, I just felt like a dog soldier. Just yeah, yeah. Dog I think on. Joe told me a story about that one. About, about Overeem. I could tell you a lot about yeah, that. Story, yeah, yeah. Like, fuck it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was actually my first encounter with, like, a superstar. I was, like, I think it was 2013. And I went into the uh, the shower. And um, then... This is the story of Joe day, man. Yeah. And then, I'm, I'm, like, there's guys in there that'll be a match. One guy was doing the impression of Spartan 300s at the time. That's a big movie. And he's going, this is Sparta. And I'm thinking, fuck me, this is mental. The next thing you know, Alistair Overeem walks out in a fucking pair of boxers. This is an Uber Ream as well. This is when he's fucking jacked, full of juice. And he goes, is anyone got any shower gel? And then he looks directly at me. And I'm panicking like, fuck, I need to get some shower gel, man. I'm looking for my bag. I'm like, oh, shit, I haven't got any. I'm looking for I haven't got any. And he was disgusted, bro. He just, he just left me there, walked away. And that, that was like, that set the tone for my stay at It sounds like a prison story, don't it? Yeah, it was fucking. <laughs> and then the, the sparring was like that. And Mike did a thing to me where basically, few guys tried to knock me out he put me with all the heavier guys they couldn't knock me out and uh like the one kid i can't remember his name now but basically the spar escalated and it was like it would have gone viral now if it's on instagram because i don't know he's screaming he's throwing his head kick um he he did something or he said something i don't know what he said because it was all in dutch and then everyone else kind of stopped slowly stopped sparring and started to watch what we were doing and then even like the parents started coming over from like this other class to watch what we were doing. And then I, in my head, as I'm sparring, I'm like, this is going mental, isn't it? And I was like, I just need to get through this fucking round, man. So I started doing like nasty stuff. I was trying to knee him in his head and all sorts and just trying to fucking get through the round. And then at the end of the round, I thought like, um, like oh, okay, you know, we'll be cool now. He literally threw his gloves on the floor. He took his gloves off, stormed out the room, shouting in whatever language he's shouting. It must have been Dutch. Who is this, sorry? Fuck knows, man. Just yeah, oh, God. Yeah. Like, I'd seen, ironically as well, I'd seen him cleaning the day before, like with a vacuum cleaner. And I thought it was hilarious because, like, at the time, I think I said something. I was, do you know, you're trying to find like a friendly phrase. And I'll try and speak to people like that. I think, well, you're not like a scary guy. And then in the sparring, it all changed. You know what I mean? He was a fucking kickboxing killer or something. And he, he was obviously really good. And uh, But I got through the round, put it on him. I think I gave as much as I took. Because he was so pissed off that he didn't knock me out. He just fumed me. He just threw all his shit on the floor, kicked all his things off. Then Mike, <laughs> then I knew I'd done something good though, because Mike went, good job. And I was, he's eating his grapes on the box. I looked at him. I remember thinking, I don't like, I don't like you, mate. Just like jab of the hook, sat there on the box with his grapes, <laughs> just like, like fight to the death, like Caesar it was. Just, you know, I got the thumbs up on that occasion. But I thought, fucking hell. And in my head, I was like, if I stay here very long, I'm going to be a mess. Do you know what I mean? Like, my long-term health ain't going to last. So I'm going to get out yeah. together. All these Russian guys have that, like, community. And then they kind of make it known that, like, you're just not one of us. Mm. You ain't got a chin They're, they're very you ain't, clicky. Yeah, like you ain't with us, mate. Do you know what I mean? And then that element of, like, if you're an established guy and, uh, you know, sometimes you might be in a camp and you just want hard sparring. But then if you're in your gym with your mates, you, you don't want to be knocking out your mate or, like, choking them out or whatever but then you're in a place like that and it's you've got kind of got free reign to do that it's like the guy's going to hit you as hard as what you're trying to do anyway so he's trying to do that to use you it's like a fight essentially but because it is like that i would not want one of my students to go there unsupervised on their own or like unless i felt like they were you know like hamzat can do it he's going to chin everyone in it do you know what I mean? If you're Rocky, who's going to yeah. beat Rocky? So yeah, it's like yeah. pretty safe. It's, it's a good training session for you to practice. Not yeah, you could just out. literally, like, yeah, you want to go like that to me? Safe, boom, no problem. But like for everyone else, for every for us mere mortals, it's not going to be fun, do you know what I mean? <laughs> um, 
So yeah, we've talked about Leon a lot. We've mentioned Fabian a couple of times. I wanted to ask um, you about Fabian. Obviously, he came up short recently against uh, Evelyn for the yeah, title. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I just wanted to kind of pick your brain as to what you think Fabian needs to do to just take that next step because obviously he's he's at that level now where he, he is at a championship level. Yeah. Is it a case that he just came up short and it's just working himself round to another crack or do you think there's something he needs to do specifically to take him up to that next level to secure that title? I think his next fight is going to be the, the make or break. I can't give it away. I don't think, I don't think it's been announced yet but basically the only way I can describe it, he's fighting like a budget John, Johnny Eblin. It's like Johnny Eblin from Wish. Okay. He's good, but like he's not Johnny Eblin good because Johnny Eblin's a like special athlete. He's physical. He's he's uh, obviously very talented in terms of like he's physically strong, but he's very talented as well. He's actually got good fight IQ. Like he knows what he's doing in there. Striking's good. Wrestling's obviously next level. He's the the wrestling coach at American Top Team. But then he's also got that dog in him. Like he's just got that champion thing because he was effectively losing that fight against Fabian and he still managed to get the job done. He took his gamble, do you know what I mean? Whereas a lot of guys like what we saw with Colby Covington, he wasn't willing to take the gamble. Whereas Johnny Eblin was like, I'm getting fucked up a bit here, my, ha my face is hanging off my head. I'm champion already, but I want to keep that, so I'm going to go and do something about it. And he did. So Fabian learned in that moment as well. Like, I could only give you what we experienced with the cut because we didn't know, and this was, it, I learned a lot from, as being a coach from that, because when everything's going on, you've got a minute in between rounds, and sometimes you're not quite sure what's happening. So remember looking at Rocky and going, is he bleeding? Oh yeah, he's bleeding. It was, a it was only a little bit. So we knew he was cut, but we didn't know how bad. In hindsight, had we stopped to like look at the, the screen and see how open it was, we would have told Fabian maybe something different. Fabian, on the other hand, was like, I'll cut him. And he was standing in front of him, so he's like, my man's face is hanging off. Like, so I think that then put him in a different mindset of like, I've almost won, the ref's gonna stop that. So he's come back to the round, he's distracted, he's looking over his shoulder, his brother's going, Fabian, like, concentrate, concentrate. And then we're thinking like, of a game plan. I was like, this kick's working, maybe do this instead. And, and like Rocky had his, his tactics that he was giving him, but really we should have been like, bro, like, maybe just run away for a few minutes and just jab and move, like, don't even try and engage with him, do you know what I mean? Because that cut was so bad, it would have yeah. been stopped 100%. Play like, it out. Literally, and that's only something that hindsight <clears throat> can give you. And then the other feeling was when I watched it back and what other people have said to me, like even like my, my missus at the minute, who's um, not a fight-like fan, she don't know nothing about it, which sometimes her opinion's the best one. Yeah. She goes, why don't you just do this? Because it's just super simple usually. And it's usually like, you're right, do you know what I mean? Like that's actually a good point, just something basic and simple. It goes back to, so I'm pretty sure Einstein said it, where he goes, like, if you can't explain a theory to a child, then you don't understand it. Do you know what I mean? And that's what that is sometimes, that that person's perspective is right. It might be super basic, but that's, there's truth in it. So her was like, why doesn't he just go more? Why doesn't he just do more? I think Fabian learned from that experience, he needs to believe in himself more. And the other thing that he's got going against him that his brother hasn't got is they're bigger hitters at his weight class. Like, there's less room for error. Do you know what I mean? Whereas that welterweight, especially Rocky's a very big welterweight. Fabian's not the biggest middleweight. Like he's, he doesn't cut that much weight. He's a, he's a unit, don't get me wrong, out of the camp. But he's not like, he's not as tall as let's say Rocky is for his weight. He's just not got the same attributes. So I feel like he has even less room for error. And he's not like, he's a very, very big kicker. Again, he's got the, the probably the hardest kick I've ever padded for. But he's not like got one punch. Oh, way more. Yeah, crazy. wow. Like he's, okay. 
Rocky's kick is snappy and sharp and horrible, but Fabian's is heavy. Like, it moves you, man. It's horrible. Like, sometimes through the pad, like, I have to take a break after because he kicks the pad. Yeah. I have to shake my arms out because he really hurts me, man. So he's, he's a psychopath. He obviously, every time he gets that reaction, he enjoys it. Yeah, yeah. So, like, because of that sometimes, though, like, I'm holding pads for him and I'm almost like, bro, you don't know, you don't understand how, like, dangerous you are, man. Like, you just got to go more. Let it fly. Yeah, and when yeah. he was an amateur, I think he was Teddy Noah as an amateur. He was, like, 10 knockouts. And he was just, he's been prison Fabian now. So he's, he's got like a street mentality. And uh, that's not to like, he's, when I say street mentality as well, he just had an immature mentality back in the day. But as far as like having a fight go, for, for Fabian, a fight is literally just like, there's nothing to it. A walk in the park. Literally, like after the Ebling one, he's looking at me a day. We're talking to one side, he's actually very upset and stuff like that. Because it was more, not because he lost, not because of the way he lost, but just the stakes. And I think he'd obviously envisioned like, oh, I want to not step out of his brother's shadow in that words. I don't think he feels like he's underneath his brother, but just to be equal. Yeah, join his brother. Join it. You know what I mean? I'm a world bloody champion as well. And then also the history of being two brothers from Birmingham, two world champions in two of the biggest promotions in the world, or the two biggest promotions in the world. It was just a fairy tale, you know what I mean? And I think it's just sad that that couldn't come to fruition then at that particular moment in time when it felt like it would have just been perfect because Rocky had not long defended his belt and stuff. So... It just didn't happen, but he just needs to believe that he can go more. Do you know what I mean? And what also is is different about him and Rocky is that they're different styles almost. They're similar, but they're different as well. Like Fabian's hits harder than Rocky. Fabian's like, even though obviously that that fight he got dropped and stuff like that, he's a uh, he's more game than Rocky. Like Fabian with Rocky, it's almost like you want to like let's say we're in a car. Like with Rocky, everyone's like pushing the gas. Yeah. Whereas like with Fabian, I'm the gas, Dave's the bells, the brakes. That's how it seems to be working. Like Dave's always slowing him down because Fabian will, and sometimes I've got to be the brake as well because Fabian will, if I told him to come out and do a scissor knee into a spinning elbow, he'd probably do it. Yeah. Because for him, it's just like, a, you know, back in the yard at prison or whatever, it's just another day at the thing. So outside of like the emotional side of it, the actual physical side of it, he's not really got much fear with that. And he, he's, he's very game. He's very willing to exchange. So I think for that particular fight, we were watching it. I watched it in slow motion. And it was the one particular thing that stood out to me was Fabian at one point, he slipped a shot and then came back with an elbow. And uh, like something that's unhuman, like the reactions on that, is, you, you can't create that. That's just, and I don't believe in God, but God given, mate, do you know what I mean? That's you. Whereas Johnny Evelyn at one point, he got hit with a shot and then did like two slips after. So I'm like, he's reacting after the fact. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that shows you in slow motion the difference in reactions. It's like speed. Jedi mind tricks, isn't you've it? Got, yeah, literally. You've got like such an advantage that nobody can replicate because that's just your genetics. So you need to capitalise on that. So when in the early going, in the first two minutes, where Fabian makes him miss a low kick, makes him miss, makes him miss, he doesn't do anything. It's like, you need to get straight away now, like make him miss, make him pay, and then follow up on that. You need to be able to impose yourself a bit more because establish that lead establish it so when he got knocked out he was also allowing Johnny to come on to him and he tried to exchange on the back foot he made like a tactical error he threw a knee and then he threw a hook and he was kind of spinning as he threw the hook and the punch caught him and he was, his feet were out of position so he didn't have a strong base under him he dropped and then like he was completely aware and I, this is how I knew he was okay because after the fight he had no memory loss so he wasn't like badly concussed as much as he did get shut off and that and that was what I was talking about earlier He's going to me and Dave, why'd they stop it? Like, let me go out, man. Let me go out. It's like, Fabs, 
Would you really let me go out? I said, no, because I would throw in the towel, but I know if I threw in the towel for Fabian or Dave threw in the towel, he would really resent us for that. He's literally like made a say, like, no, let me fucking fight. Do you know what I mean? That's how he views it. Until the ref calls Until it. Until the ref calls it. And in that view, he's like, why did the ref call it? I'm like, mate. And then Dave says to him, it's the point, Dave's really good at one line. And Dave goes, bro, it's ain't the shutting off business. It ain't the, it's ain't the business of being shut off. And then Fabian thought about it. And we're like, yeah, he's like, you got to fight again in six months, mate. Well, what's the point? What's the point in that? Like, just to say that you couldn't fight no more, to have no doubt in your mind. Whereas you've come out now, yeah, you lost, but you're completely healthy. You know, it's still not good to get knocked out. You still probably need time off from sparring and contact because it still is technically a concussion. But he had no concussion symptoms, so he didn't feel sick, had no memory loss. Remembered walking back from the cage to the changing room. I don't know how much you spent time around concussion. I've, I've had three concussions, so I know they, what they're like. They can be, yeah. like, symptoms Horrible. can be scary and yeah. worrying. You know what I mean? The first time you experience someone else going through that, it's very worrying. Like, I had a fighter once, and he got knocked out with a head kick, and he, he just kept repeating himself to the point where, like, it was, like, two hours, and I was, like, fucking hell. And I've had a fighter getting sick all the time, like, physically throwing up, and that's worrying because you like... And then when the doctor tells you, as they do, just don't let him fall asleep, and you're like, fucking hell, that's on my shoulders now. So this guy could pass away. Yeah, yeah that's me. From my experience, doctors are kind of very blasé about. Uh, I know. About like, I remember, like, <laughs> you know, very mild. So I'm like, yeah, but I'm in my early twenties, man. The kid's just been completely flatlined. The doctor goes, yeah, um, yeah. So uh, if he goes to sleep, don't let him do that. And if he explains that he feels sick and stuff, bring him straight to the hospital. And I'm like, okay, so hold on, this is all on me now. Like, what? <laughs> like, should he just go with you if it's that bad? But it's like the doctors, they don't really believe in, it's like. Prevention is more like once it's happened, it's then the we'll cure. deal with it. Yeah, yeah. medicine's cure, cure, all about cure, cure and the problem. Let's wait for him to convulse on the floor and then we'll give him the medicine. <laughs> At the time, I was like, can we not just keep him over night? Maybe because you're worrying me now. But obviously, the more time I've spent with it, the more I've, I've realized like what just like a normal concussion is. It's always worrying, it's always horrible, but I, I know how to deal with a person when they're in that situation, like how to calm them down, how to just ride it. You know, they're going to ask me that question and I'm just going to have to keep answering them the same way every time. I'm going to have to keep calm because when they're in that state, they don't, they keep forgetting. So they just don't know what's going on. But the one that he kept reliving it, he kept crying and stuff like that. So going back to Fabian, Fabian was like, nah, I remember what happened and that. I should have done this. He was explaining technical sequences and we were re-watching it at the bar. We've all got a few drinks and stuff. I don't think Fabian had a drink to be fair. And, uh, he was showing Bradley Hill the jiu-jitsu coach the other day. If you met Bradley Hill, yeah, I haven't met him. I know, mate. He's the best. The way he speaks, he's like, I'm okay. So when he did this, you put your hand there. What you should have done is this. And we're like, me and Fabian and Bradley are watching him get like knocked out. You know what I mean? Bear in mind, my missus is crying because she's like, I can't see that. Yeah, you know yeah. I mean? Fabian's like, oh yeah, yeah. I fucking shouldn't have done that, should I? So that's his mindset on it. He's like, and that's a brilliant mindset to have. As well. Fantastic. And like, I'll go back to the example of like Manny Pacquiao. Manny Pacquiao. Fort Marquez, multiple times, got knocked out, like, terrible knockout, horrendous, like, you know, devastating knockout, and then came back to win however many fights after that, like, I don't know how many, he won, like, 10, 11, he didn't, like, question his chin or anything, he maybe fought slightly differently, maybe fought, you know, and I think he even said, actually, he fought more to preserve his opponent, because he said he felt bad, so he didn't, he felt ah, more compassionate towards yeah. his opponent, because he was like, because that happened to me, and that never happened to me before. I felt really bad things. I've done that to loads of people. So then I and thought, he's still able to win. Yeah. So I think he fought like Algeria, and he was. I think he dropped him six times, but he just didn't quite go for the kill. Whereas yeah. Young Pacquiao was all about just getting him out of there. So it changed him ironically for that, but it didn't make him think about his chin. And when I spent a lot of time with Thais in Thailand, like 
they accept, I think it's an Asian mentality as well, they accept that it's just part and parcel of the sport, rather than I think the Western mindset is like, oh, you're finished, your chin's gone, or this, that, and the other, which obviously can happen with age. You know, you do see it with some fighters, they just fall off the edge. And obviously, you know, the other thing is I think if fighters have been doing hard sparring for too long and, and rush back into things, and yeah, that probably is going to have a, a negative effect. But if you do everything right medically and you can't do anything more, then you give yourself enough time to recover in that, then you should be okay. And Fabio's got that mindset where he's not thinking about it like that. He's like, now I'll do all the right things. I'll take my time off. I'll, I'll, I've not sparred for however long. I've done everything that I physically can, but get me back in there. Because I know I can, and he's like, I can beat Evelyn, man. I want that fight again. I just got to get back to that fight. And I think whilst he's got that mindset, that's everything. He hasn't got knocked out and then start questioning everything. And again, throw the baby out with the bathwater. Oh, I need to do all new training and change it. It's like, nah, I was doing wicked in that fight. I just need to do more of what I was doing good because I can do that. So if anything, it gave him probably a bit more confidence to think next time, rather than giving that guy more risk, that too much respect maybe, I'm just going to go at him a bit more. So I'm hoping that this next fight will be that make or break where touch wood and that, we're probably going to see the best version that you've ever been. And that was the other sad thing about that fight because <clears throat> we had the Masasi fight before that and that was the first fight where I properly had a full camera fab. I think I had 10 weeks in for that fight. And he schooled him. It was literally like, it was so easy. We were just there in the corner. And like me and Rocky, let me think he said, we could just see what Masassi was looking for. And we had all these little codes that would say, oh, he's looking for this now, do this, step off. And it, some people think it was boring, but for us, it was like, man, you just literally beat a, like, a legend. One of the most prolific strikers. Like, you know what I mean? Dangerous guy, history. man. You beat him in third gear and you made him resort to like playground tactics of trying to like knee you in the head on the floor and like kick you in the nuts and stuff. Like he was resorting to tactics because he was frustrated. So that was the best version of Fabs we built on that. And then in the Evelyn fight, if you watch the first, second round, like, and take the bias out of it, you can just see that he's doing really well and he's making Evelyn think. So he doesn't need to change anything. He just needs to do more of it. And yeah. hopefully, Touchwood will be a world champion. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I, I feel pretty confident in his chances. Um, I mean, obviously, he was just at that cusp and there's so yeah. many variables. Um, obviously, it didn't go his way that time, but... Um, I look forward to seeing him back in that position because I think the world title is it's never inevitable. But I, I think Fabian and then belongs with a title around the UK waist. martial arts and a history for them two brothers from nothing more for them two brothers. It's just for what they've come from, it's just amazing. Isn't it? you know what I mean? Yeah, it's a positive story to look at. Two brothers that come through shit to go on to both be like respectable members of society for one, and then like world champions, money. You know what I mean? What more can you ask for? Yeah. Uh, kind of quick fire question to finish. Give me your three top tips for anyone that wants to get half decent at striking. What are your recommendations? Turn up to the gym. Listen to your coach. Do not go in there and tell your coach what you think you need to learn. Do not do that. <laughs> and more importantly, like love it. Don't don't think about where you're trying to get to. That's the worst thing because you'll get burned out. Just the process, you know, saying trust the process, enjoy that. If you can go to the gym and fall in love with it and just enjoy the actual bit. Like when I was, when I look back in 16 and just going in the gym and having a laugh, not even thinking, to, I mean, I was doing the technique, but I weren't like, it wasn't necessarily for a reason. I was just enjoying being in that environment. So, like the boys that I go to the gym with you now and just enjoy hanging out with you and enjoy hanging out with Jimmy and feel like a part of something and have a social element to it, that's just going to be a recipe. To be good. That's great. 
Thanks for that, mate. Uh, that was a, that that was a great conversation. <laughs> no, but I, I, I mean, I could have carried on all day yeah. asking you. Yeah, I, I feel like I could definitely do another one at some point. We didn't even get to, obviously, your kind of whole fight career. Uh, that would be a story for another time. Thank you, man. Really appreciate that. Yeah, good stuff.